Wagwan, this is DJ Jamadi. When I'm not rescuing little babies from burning buildings, tuned in to feedback, podcast, do the same. What up, everybody? Welcome to the Feedback Podcast. My name is Back. And in this episode, I get to talk to the one and only DJ Nick Knack. And if you've been listening to the show, you've probably heard his name many times. So we talk about how he started DJing, the scratching, uh, the DJ battles. Uh, he's moved to Austin, the KVRX days, uh, the hip-hop mecca days. His collaboration with Chaotix, Organized Confusion, and Blaze, the jazz band. Uh, we talk about Giga Crate and Crack Control Records. We talk about production. I mean, this man's done it all. And there's definitely a lot of history here, so I know you're going to like it. Also, make sure you subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Just look for the feedback, B-A-K. And finally, make a note. Saturday, December 13th, feedback anniversary. All right, let's go. And we're live. Welcome to the Feedback Podcast. Sorry I took a break last week. There was so much going on and I was tired. So, but we're back. I mean, I'm back, literally. Anyway, <laughs> today on the show, I have the pleasure, the honor, the whatever-er to have my boy, DJ Nickity Knack. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for coming. I know. Oh, dude, thanks for having me. It's rainy outside. Your name has come up so many times on this show that I'm like, I got to have Nick on the show. Well, I There's appreciate no fucking it, man. Way. No fucking way. <laughs> I have to, I have to. Uh, and I want to thank you for playing a feedback party. Was that like two years ago, three oh, years yeah, ago? Yeah. It was a blast, Yeah, that was, uh, that, that that was, was one of our best, honestly. It was great, man. That was one of our best. The, everybody was jamming. And I, actually, when I had Chorizo on the show, we brought that up again. And it was like, yeah, when he dropped that Al Green at the very end of the night. Yeah. And then it was after 2 o'clock and people were like, oh, everybody have to, has to go. And I'm like, no, there's some music playing. <laughs> No, yeah. no, we're still going. We're still going. No, but thank you so much for doing oh, it, man. Of course, man. Of course. Cool. So if you guys didn't know, Nick Knack has been around for what? Jeez. Uh, what don't, in, don't give away your age. Just <laughs> been around in, yeah, in what way? <laughs> Living or, or DJing? Yeah, DJing. Or, DJing in Austin. Uh, I, I moved to Austin in, um, gosh, 95? 95? Yeah. Oh, man. So... I, well, let's go, let's go back. Let's go back. Yeah. Let's get some of that backstory, I like to call it. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't there, I know, but it's still, I think it's still relevant. So did you, did you grow up around music? Were, were your parents jamming at a whole record collection? Or yeah, what was it? yeah. Um, <clears throat> my dad uh, definitely was big into music. He was a, uh, he plays guitar and bass, uh, was in a band. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I grew up around music. Um, you know, I remember as a kid writing in, on on road trips listening to um primarily uh i guess what you would call classic rock you know the beatles um mm -hmm. you know stuff like that and the stones queen all of that exactly stuff. and just you know my parents singing along and and even even you know 50s songs you know the stuff really that, yeah uh, my parents are a little bit older um i i don't want to give away their ages but that's fine they um you know they 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 the 50s and 60s were sort of um, their formative years, I guess, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so whenever they hear that music, it, it, it's like us hearing classic hip hop, you know? So, um, I grew up around that and, um, yeah, we had, uh, my grandmother actually, um, 
gave uh gave my dad so my dad's mother gave gave him her player piano i don't know if you've ever seen what it's called a player piano which means that it has these little feet that you you can kind of push your left foot and right foot and it has billows like kind of like uh an accordion Uh um uh and and that causes the uh it it has like uh you know those little um gosh i don't even know what they're called but they have music kind of programmed on them via um, oh and they they play a song and they spin around in like little um uh, uh what do you call it like little uh, tines strum across the the metal divots in the thing and they makes music right yeah, so yeah. this is it's kind of like that right like it's you basically buy these reels of music and you can pretend like you're playing the piano it's great man so at parties you load up these reels i, I shit you not man so like my so parents, you did? well Yes, at times my <laughs> my parents would have like house party, like Christmas party or something like that, and uh-huh. we had you know like this little you know kitchen bar area, and so all the adults would be in there and it'd be in the living room, and you know they'd all be drunk, and here I'd come the you know six year old or seven year old, and I'd be like check this out, you know, and I'd and they wouldn't know you know that it was a player piano, and so I would shut the little front doors that would. Would be where you would load the music reel onto, yeah. And then I would just sit there and pump my feet and put my fingers on there and pretend like I was just playing <laughs> some crazy ass song. And they would look at me like, "Damn, he's he's really good," you know. <laughs> but uh, look at little Nick, yeah. look how cute that cute so, he is. But I mean, it actually ended up spawning into me being very curious about the piano. Um, and and you know, I took guitar lessons as a kid. Um, Did you um, learn music like um I played the trumpet um and I was in you know just like I think most kids are I, I don't know if it's required anymore but I when I was in school and in elementary school and and whatnot I had to in middle school it was required to take band you know so Really If I recall I don't have the I don't, greatest, know, I don't have the greatest memory no, but I don't know why fine. else I would have taken band you know but um It's uh, a cool thing to do in in school I mean our music yeah, classes so. our music classes in France were mandatory. Everybody had to take music classes, but we'd study. Oh, I remember we studied Enter Sandman. Really, by Metallica? Yes. Wow. We had to learn how to play it. That's cool, man. And then we had to do. I, I did a project on Michael Jackson. That's cool. That was our music class, but yeah, we didn't so our learn music, how, to, how to play anything. Right on. Yeah, our music class wasn't that hip. Like they didn't bring it. Let us bring in music. It was more. Um, You know, at the time, I, now I look back on it and I'm like, oh wow, we, you know, we were playing, you know, jazz standards or attempting to. You know, it was it was probably some guy that was like a failed jazz musician that was like, I'm gonna be the band leader, and so I'm gonna have yeah, these, yeah. teach these kids all my favorite jazz standards. And you know, as a kid, well, maybe I don't know. Some kids grow up in jazz and they love it, right? But I didn't grow up listening to jazz, you know. So mm-hmm. I, when I would hear it as a kid, I thought of it as like, man, I, you know, I want to play you know whatever the the hottest stuff was which actually i i listened to i used to listen to heavy metal around that time you know so really i would probably have loved to be in in your uh <laughs> in that music class you know so wait so your so your first love was hip-hop you were right in there not my first love my my i mean my first love of music was interestingly enough that's a great segue the metallica i mean uh you know uh kill em all by metallica yeah. was was one of the first Um, it, so basically what, what had happened was I, I got the guitar and wanted to learn how to play. Like, and my whole thing was like, I want to play stairway to heaven. I, for some reason, Dude, that was I like the so mecca. To this. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta learn how to play this, you know? And, 
uh, it was me and my buddy and we used to skate. And so, you know, like, I don't know if it was his older brother or a friend's older brother, like was all into heavy metal. So got us like, you know, went over there and saw this kill them all tape, you know? And I was like, what the hell is this? You know, it's all, <laughs> so, and I, I remember listening to, uh, uh, gosh, is anesthesia pulling teeth, the Cliff Burton bass solo, I think is on there. I, anyways, there was some really cool musical stuff, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I was just like, wow. So I really got into that tape. But music really wasn't um, at that age, you know, when I was, you know, I don't know. What, what was that? Like maybe um, like, you know, sixth grade or something like that, like fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I was dabbling around playing, you know, like I said, and and uh, and, and playing the trumpet. Actually, it was the cornet. <laughs> it wasn't even the trumpet. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't even cool enough to be the trumpet. <laughs> But uh, um, I'm at least there wasn't the French horn. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. French horn's actually dope. Um, but uh, sorry, we're not judging. Go ahead. <laughs> but gosh, I forgot where I was going with this. But no, but uh, you know, music wasn't a huge, huge part of my life back then. Uh, sports were more so. Mm-hmm. So I was into um, playing soccer. You know, baseball. You mean football um, with the foot? That's right. You're talking to a Frenchman. There you go. Okay, fine. So, Keep going. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, 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 um, gosh, what was I going to say? You got me sidetracked there thinking about football versus soccer. Um, but yeah, ba- basically music wasn't a huge part of my life. So whenever we, I got the guitar and I wanted to really get into that, a big part of that was skating, you know, for me. So, mm-hmm. um, and I used to be into BMX as well. So, um, you know, that whole, like it went from sort of organized sports to like, solo sports you know like be riding your bmx bike or you know you and a homie like practicing or you know doing tricks you know and you know, whatever right so i know that sounded maybe like no because i did the same thing yeah i did the same thing my, my all my <laughs> friends went to skating and metallica um yeah metallica queen uh and then all the french rock that was out at the time Dude, I even had jean jackets with like uh, and justice for all back patch. And, uh, like, I wouldn't go that far because I, I, I would go back. Shit. I would go back home and my sister would be like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> listening to this shit? Yeah. I listen to ACDC and everything." Yeah, yeah. But it, my friend wasn't. No, um, I got doggy style, and I got him into Snoop, and he got me into Metallica. That was a trade off. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so th- this was. Um, uh yeah the the whole again that was music was not a huge part of my um like school life if you will you mm-hmm. know like it was and it wasn't a humongous part of my home life but it was a, a big part like you, you know, like I said um we had the player piano my dad would actually play songs on his acoustic guitar um you know we would constantly be listening to music my it's funny much many years later I, my dad's like here I want you to have this and he gave me his record collection and I remember as a kid thinking, oh, my gosh, it was this massive collection, right? Mm-hmm. But when I got it, which was maybe like four or five years ago, I mean, it was it like, like one one hundredth of the amount of records that I have, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, every record is a banger, you know? It's like, I mean, he's got some dope records in there, you know? Just like The Who and like, you know, like original first pressing Beatles, you know, like yeah. rare, semi-rare shit, you know, that's worth a decent amount. And it's cool to see that. It's like, wow, I remember as a kid thinking this collection was so massive. And in reality, it was probably like 200 records. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so how did anyways. the, so, you, but you were right there when hip hop was, was blowing up. So yeah, I mean, you- and hip hop was a part of, of my life, uh, early on. Like, you know, of course we would hear, um, you know, I, again, I'm talking about sort of the time I was talking about with the, with the kill them all was like 
when Kill 'Em All actually came out. Like, yeah. I don't know when that was, like maybe 84-ish. I, I don't know exactly, but I was pretty young. And, and that's when I started playing guitar and stuff like that. Um, but, a, you know, maybe a year or two later, I mean, things happen so fast, right? And when yeah, you're younger, then, right? Yeah. So it, it, thinking back on it is a little, I don't know the exact timelines, but, um, you know, we, we would, you know, I, I remember listening to um, King of Rock, right? I have it on cassette at the same time as I would listen to, and maybe that was 85, 86, I don't know, maybe a couple years later after mm-hmm. Kill 'em All, you know? But, um, you know, I, w- I would listen to Run DMC, I, I would listen to, um, gosh, what else? A, a couple years later, maybe even, um, uh, I remember going through a phase of being into uh, um, uh, it West Coast, Magic, Magic, Coast? Magic Mike, dude, DJ Magic Mike, and oh. like Miami bass kind of stuff, uh-huh. and hearing him scratch and being like, "What the hell is this?" And so um, it was your your friends introducing you to that kind of stuff, all the skater friends. Well, or? not necessarily because you know, and um, so I grew up in in uh, I originally grew up in in Aurora, Colorado, and near Denver, and then my dad uh, moved. We, he flew for Southwest Airlines, so we moved to to Dallas to a right. suburb called Plano, in Plano, and um, Plano has a humongous school district. So the the grades are really weird, man. It's like middle school, um, they have a middle school, high school, and then senior high. So middle school is like sixth, seventh, eighth, and then high school is like ninth and tenth grade, mm-hmm. and then you have a senior high, which is like eleventh and twelfth. And so, weird. yeah, it's weird. Most people just have, you know, middle school and then yeah. high school is like four years, right? Right, but, right. Um, they had so many uh, kids that they had to break it up like that. So the influences were weird because, you know, you only had people that were like at most maybe two years older than you. And I was a young, I was young for my grade. My birthday is in the summer. So like the way that it worked out is either I was going to be really old for my grade or really young, right? right. Just because of that. So... Um, I ended up being pretty young. So anyways, I was influenced by like, you know, friends, older brothers or, you know, just that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, we all know how it is, yeah. right? So so I would hear stuff like, I remember I heard, uh, you know, Easy e for the first time. I was going to the Dallas Zoo. I'd never forget him. I was riding on a bus and, and some kid <laughs> had Dallas a... Zoo. Yeah, it was like a field trip, Oh, right? a field trip and, on yeah, a field yeah. trip, okay. Yeah, and, and we're on the bus and like some kid played... Um, uh, uh, Easy Does It or one of those? Yeah, he played Easy Does It and... Uh, uh, and I just like my mind was like fucking blown. I'm like, what in the fuck is this? And it had it was like brand new. Uh-huh. It wasn't like I was listening to some like old shit. It like just came out like a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. <laughs> you know, I need to get I need to learn more about this. But it didn't that my introduction and like in-depth love of hip hop did not really actually start until about middle school. I met this dude named Point Five. Is what was what I called him. His name was Josh. Josh Kirk. Uh-huh. And uh, I met him at the bus stop because he he rode the same bus as me to school. And so, uh, you know, I remember thinking like, man, this kid's always out there with his headphones on, and he's always just rocking, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, dude, what the fuck are you jamming? You know what I mean? Like you're always into it. You're in your own zone. And he's like, he had just moved from Pittsburgh, and so he was like, uh, new new kid. You know what I mean? None of us knew him, and he was yeah. like. He's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm jamming that, uh, you know, third bass. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, man, the Cactus album. And I'm like, what the fuck is that, you know? And then, he, you know, every day he'd be like, yo, you need to check this out, man, this EPMD. I'm like, what's EPMD? And he's like, Eric and Parrish making ducats or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what? Like, every day this kid was dropping knowledge, you know, and, and it was all new new releases, you know? It yeah, wasn't yeah, like it was all he was, brand new coming out. Yeah, yeah, and so I was just, my mind was like fucking blown. 
And, um, you know, me and this kid became, you know, fast friends. And uh, I just became obsessed with hip hop, you know, through this kid that is primarily East Coast hip hop because that's where, you know, he was from. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, man, we, uh, <laughs> we just, uh, we started this crew. Oh, uh, I was waiting for the crew. We started this crew <laughs> called, dude, it's so stupid, man. That's it's called, fine. You're a kid. It's We're called, not... it's called the Dope Villains, man. And, and, okay. uh, just because, we like the word dope, you know, like we're dope, you know, it yeah. had nothing to do with drugs, you know, of I mean? course. It's just like we're dope, you know, and and the villains part was because we were like bad little motherfuckers, man, like not like in the sense of like, you know, gangsters, but like troublemakers, troubles, yeah. dude, like we used to do some just really, really dumb shit. Like my mother always tells me, well, just wait till you have kids, you know what I mean? Because... My mom knows about a lot or heard about a lot of stuff or, you know, got phone calls about a lot of the stuff that we did, you know, trying to hop on the elementary school and like put up a tag on the wall and getting caught by a teacher. You know, it was like those were like things that the dope villains did or we would like hide out behind walls and throw um, uh, uh, horse apples at the bus trying to break the bus window. We'd get off like two bus stops early Wait, so and chunk horse apples at the bus, <laughs> dude. So, I mean, it wasn't really it was just me and him having fun you know what i mean it wasn't like we were like it was just goofy shit as kids, were you rapping you know? or anything no it had nothing to do with that man he, uh, was, he was an artist and i wasn't a dj but it was just like we're a little crew and and we were trying to do um you know just kind of legitimize i guess the things that the little boys do you know just uh, trust me into, i've been there too just doing <laughs> we needed yet. to have a crew name you know so it wasn't about music really although music actually was what um like fueled our creativity not in terms of like any of the mischief per se uh -huh. but just like we would do these things and then we'd go back to his house and and we he you know we would draw things you know or we would come up with characters or like draw like graffiti on books or like listen to you know the latest um you know public enemy song or whatever and be like man you know and 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 out of that kind of spawned um my appreciate my my true appreciation for you know creativity um and and just you know love of music man mm -hmm. really you know so what what was it that made you go okay you probably heard a dj and you're like holy shit this is this is it this is what i want to be this is what i want to what was that what was that moment like yeah well around that time you know there were so many things that um josh and i were discovering man both through each other um, another thing we used to do is go to, to our favorite pastime, man, was to to get our big starter jackets, man, the ones that the coaches used to wear. And we'd cut <laughs> holes in the side of them and we'd steal cartons of cigarettes and then we'd go to Sound Warehouse and steal as many CDs as we could. And we would... Dope villains. Yeah, dude. No, we took the shit seriously, man. But uh, we... Uh, For real, we, This villains. was like back, back when Sound Warehouse used to have... I don't know if this might be before your time. I don't know, because they outlawed having... Uh, uh, not outlawed, but they stopped having card. They used to the CDs used to come in big cardboard sleeves that had artwork. It was pretty dope, dude. It was like twelve inches tall by like six inches or like mm, five inches, that. and and it was mad easy to steal them, dude. Because you would just slice your finger and boom, and you would you know and you'd be out, right? Well, and we used to just come up on all sorts of stuff. We were not we're like anything rap, dude. Anything we're just getting it, you know. And so, uh, you had a stash back in we the, would just do, yeah, we would just do that, and then and we go back. And so, you know, one of the CDs that I think I came up on was, um, 
was uh well two um one that was just we knew we wanted to get which was was gangstar you know what i'm saying step in the arena not nice. the first one but the second one um i didn't really know about the first one when it came out man like i just wasn't really hip to it you know mm -hmm. but but the second one step in the arena and then um so did, you already knew about premiere being from texas i didn't everything. man oh, i didn't you no just, no like, this was it? like 80 i mean that first one came out like 89 right like or 88 yeah and this this one was like i think it came out maybe six months later or a year later like 90 i think step in the arena is like 1990 maybe uh -huh. i could be wrong on that you know what i mean but uh someone will fact check it it's cool um uh but around that same time i came across and both of these dude were not like uh well the gangstar one i had heard of right like i was like i i i heard my homeboy talking about it, so i was like i need to get this but the other one low profile i mean they were like nobodies you know i was like this cover just looks dope <laughs> I need to get this. Like, it looks like some shit that would be cool. Like, the design of the cover was, like, white, and it had, like, this logo that had, like, a, like an angled thing that said low profile. And I yeah, was like, yeah. I like the name. I was like, low profile, man. That's just dope. It's like dope villains, you know? It just works. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm just being goofy. But um, That's fine. anyways, I picked up the CD um, and and listened to it. And, and that was the one that I vividly remember, um, you know, really just, like, blowing my mind and changing everything was when I heard... Uh, track six, um, Aladdin's on a Rampage. Um, I still, to this day, have to listen to that track at least once a month. It's like I have the whole thing memorized, man. Like every scratch, it's unfucking believable. Still to this day, dude, um, I don't know anyone that can fuck with that, man. And that's. It's, it has a lot of cuts in it. It's unbelievable. And, and dude. The, the thing is, honestly, I didn't. I mean, that was before my time, or at least I, I was in France back then. So. If they were on the ground here, there's no way in hell that we knew about it in France. Right. But uh, when I listened to it, I was like, whoa. It's one of those tracks where the whole time the MC is just giving props to the DJ. Yeah. Well, when, you know who the MC is, though, right? It's I don't even know. WC, dude. WC from, from the West Side Connection? Yes, sir. Really? Yes, sir. Doesn't sound like him at all. Listen to it again. All right. So, hold, hold on. Hold on. All right, just as a little experiment, I'm going to play it real quick so people know what you're talking about. <laughs> that 808, man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crying yet? Aladdin's on the cut. Yo, get some. Go for what you know. That's WC. WC, dude, this I say short. It doesn't pay when you tamper with my DJ. On the cut. So yo, move your butt. It's so dope. I mean, we, I don't think people want to hear me just. No, rapping. I mean, I, I just wanted to give a sample of what it's like. Yeah, we should listen to these cuts right here. Dude, I still use a lot of those scratch samples. So it's not it's not just the scratching with that track. I mean, it's I mean, if you've never heard scratching like that, I mean, that's the first thing that catches your attention. You're like, "Wow, I mean, that dude is that's what the whole song is really about, but it's deeper than that. It's about the fact that there is such a collaboration between MC and DJ on that song like I've never heard before. I mean, it's like the old saying, like, we know each other so well, we're literally finishing each other's sentences. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they, I mean, they obviously planned it, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. it's like, 
I still listen to that track, you know, 20 some odd years later, whatever it is. And it's still, blown it's away. still amazing. It's how it holds it. And actually, I urge people to go support that album, um, Low Profile. I, I think it's just that's the name of the album and that's the name of the group. Um, if I'm, I think it's, uh, I think it's a self-title. We're in this together. We're in this together. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. Yeah. But there's so many good songs on there, man. It's like, you know. It's just amazing, man. So, so you heard that, then you were like, "Holy shit, I want to learn how to do this." Yeah, it was that, and then, and you know, that was definitely the main one that sticks out in my mind. But then also, um, the entire Step in the Arena album is very similar. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's one song in particular on that album that's not a song that most people even remember. It's a song called, um, I think it's called "As I Read My Essay." And um, it's if you listen to that song, if I and my memory might not be serving me correct, there's so many other dope songs. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even suggesting this is the dopest song by any stretch of the imagination, but it for some reason is the song that I remember the cuts on. Like, I j- it was just like what the, they were so melodic, man. The way he, the way Premier cuts is still like like Premier can't even cut like Premier was cutting back then, man. Like, <laughs> Premier back statement. then is like I don't know what dude. He was so ill with his timing, just his funkiness. I'm I'm joking. I mean he's still got it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Of but course. but like um, it was just something about both of the two of those guys. It's more than just like the uh, the sheer skill of it. It's they have that 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 thing that's so evasive for so many musicians man whether it be an mc or trumpet player guitar player mm-hmm. is style man you can't teach someone style and funk you know what i mean and they have that in their timing dude if you listen to their timing it's um it's impeccable man it the breaks so that, did, did you did you when you heard that I didn't part. I you didn't, didn't, you didn't. I didn't know any. I didn't just part. I, yeah, I didn't part. No, I, I'm. I'm. I'm reflecting back on it. You know, many, many years later. Oh, okay. When I heard it at the first, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, this is just crazy. What is this, right? Mm-hmm. But I studied it, man. That's. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that I was so influenced by it that I still study it, and still uncover things about it that um, are just unbelievable, man. And I think the number one thing that I'm just to summarize, it's just style, man. It's just funky as shit, you know? And you can get that same inspiration, for example, listening to, like, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh yeah. Monch, when he raps. Like, he's got so much style. On the opposite end of the spectrum, equally as much style is, is like, Pimp C, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and to me, that's, like, those are, like, my influences, right? Is mm-hmm. like, DJ Aladdin, you know, Premier, Pimp C, Feral Monch, you know, these kinds of things. Big Daddy Kane, you know, Tretch, you know. I mean, these cats have impeccable timing, and but yet combined with style, you know. Um, man, yeah, I should I should I should have played some uh, graduation music behind that. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Wait, so you hear that and you're like, okay, I'm. A, this is what I want to do. You get your first turntables. And how do you learn? Do you lock yourself in the bedroom? That's the thing, man, is back then, I didn't know, being that I lived in Plano, there wasn't really many, I mean, I didn't know any other DJs, right? So I'm not sure if I mentioned this already, but one of the ways that Point Five or Josh, uh, him and I found out about new music went a huge way Mm -hmm. was by watching uh, Rap City, man. You know, way before uh, uh, Joe Claire, it was uh, uh, Chris... um, Damn, I forget his name. I knew there was gonna be some things I forget. Prince Day, <laughs> Prince Dejour and Chris Thomas. Chris Thomas, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we used to watch it back in the day when when the logo was a uh, 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 cyan and uh, um, magenta. It was like a, or, or it was like Rap a, City. Yeah, dude. Like it was dope. No commercials, man. Like 
you know, an hour long of like with like three commercials. I recorded it, dude. I got you got to come over, man. I got VHS tapes, nice packed like ten of them with like amazing interviews and just crazy shit. And so, you know, this is how I found out about DJing, dude. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, man. Yeah, look, there was no YouTubes. There was no yeah. no DJs I knew. Um, only a couple years later did I discover a DJ store that was in Dallas, which I'll tell you about here in a second. But um, at the beginning, dude, it was all about Rap City, man. And Yo! MTV Raps as Yo well. Yo! MTV Raps, yeah. You know, um, but it was like, oh, what is... Who's that what, guy what in is the back? Dre? You know what is um <laughs> yeah Dre was what is Dre? What is he? What kind of turntable is that, dude? I remember watching uh uh, uh I remember watching um the choice is yours with Black Sheep and watch that video again, dude. Um uh Mr. Long has a fucking laser disc on his turntable and I remember going, what the fuck kind of record is he scratching with? It looks like a <laughs> mirror, you know? It's like a big <laughs> CD, but it was just for the video. But you know, back then I was like, I don't fucking know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Um, or, you so, know, Lords of the Underground, dude, their DJ was, uh, uh, God dang, I, I forgot his name. I, t- I feel like an idiot. I forgot his name too, but he is amazing, man. Like, and all of the, anytime he would be on, like I would watch his shit and be like, okay, you know, um, I, I'm learning stuff. I'm seeing how they're doing certain things. Right. You and, see Jim Master J, like all of those That's guys. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but at first I didn't know about any of that stuff. So then I found out, started doing a little more research, found out about, um, a local DJ shop is actually in Garland. <laughs> Shout out, nice. Bavu. Um, yeah. And, and, ba- Bavu in his own neighborhood over there. Yeah, in yeah. <laughs> it was called um, uh, uh, um, Spin Masters with Who Man was the owner. And it was, in the, it was in Garland. It was in this like shitty little strip mall. Imagine like a DJ store being next to like HEB on Jollyville or some shit. Like it was like that, dude. And yeah. I was like. Walked in there and I'm like, oh my God, they have like special needles for you to DJ with. And you don't have to have that rubber mat that comes with the turntable. You get a slip mat. And like, I, I mean, it's shit that DJs take for granted nowadays. But dude, there wasn't anyone that I knew in 1990 that had, there was a fucking DJ. You so know you, what I mean? you, you pick that up, you get it for Christmas, and then. Yeah, just whatever. Like you know what I'm saying? And practice. And then, but you, but I would, you know, from going to Spin Masters, I meet a couple cats. Dude, you need to go to Bill's Records and Tapes on Spring Valley. What's Bill's Records and Tapes? Shit, let me go check it out. You know, and I'd go over there and I'd be, see Baby G over there. Or I'd hear Baby G on 100.3, you uh-huh. know, which was, you know, in Dallas, the radio. And I'd be like, oh, who's this Baby G? I'd start researching and be like, yo, this dude won the DMC US, you know, in 1990. And like, who's this cat? And, you know, you just it's that kind of stuff, right? And you start piecing it together and you start going to talk to these cats and, and, um, and, and, just learning in person but you also you know learn by watching too but you know whether it be you know rap city or whatever you get your hands on man like i used to buy i remember a little bit later i ended up buying these dmc routines yeah or i'd buy the tapes rather the dmc vhs tape and i would watch it over and over and over (laughs) and over again and i would just i still have those tapes and i still have the shit memorized you know and but did did you uh, at what point you were like okay now i'm ready i'm gonna get into a dj battle then you entered the well. The funniest, the funny, funny, funny. Yeah, yeah. So before we do that, I should. I wanted to just diverge a little bit. My first DJ gig ever. Um, uh, I was, house party uh, of sorts. It was a <laughs> quinceanera um, for this chick that was in middle school with me, 
And she's like, I hear you're DJing. And I knew her older brother from the car scene. So I used to be, like I said, big into low riders. And or I didn't really say that, but mm-hmm. I was into like, you know, car stereos and like Miami bass and, you know, all that kind of stuff like Magic Mike and, you know, Chevy S10s that were dropped. And we, you know, had the crazy back, you know, trunk that would go up with hydraulics and all yeah. that stuff. So I was into that, big into that stuff. And her brother was big into that stuff too. And I kind of looked up to him. He was a couple of grades. I was in like sixth grade or seventh grade and he was in like eighth grade, but got held back or, you know, something like that. And he was like, yeah, my sister, it's her quinceanera or, you know, whatever it is. And I, and, and it's going to be at our house. And I'm like, cool. And I wasn't even 16 yet. You know, I, I guess I was like 14 maybe. Oh, damn. Or 13. Yeah. I don't even know, man. It's something like that. Right. And, um, cause again, I was young for my grade. So is quinceanera, is that, is that 15 or is that Something like that. Thirteen. I don't, I don't even know, man. I get bar mitzvahs and yeah, quinceaneras mixed up, but around the same age. Whatever it when was, you start growing pubes. That's when it right. Like, but I, hits. but again, I was younger for that. So whatever age that was, I was like a year and a half or so younger, right? Yeah. So my dad had to drive me to the gig. It was so embarrassing, man. I was like, Dad, drop me off like around the corner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was fucked up because like I had my gear with me, so it was like he couldn't. You know what I mean? So we like loaded up, and I brought these these like house speakers, man. And it was, I'm, I shit you not, man. It was in a fucking barn of all, I know you're like, yeah, right, dude. But it was literally in a barn with hay and shit. And like, that's where her party was. There was a table. I had one turntable, man. I didn't even, it wasn't even a Techniques 1200. It was basically my homeboy. We had been watching, it wasn't 0.5. It was one of our other friends, Jimmy. It was like, I think that my parents have one of these turntables. Like it's on these rap videos, you know, it's got the S tone arm. It was a Techniques like 1800, man. And it had like knobs and for the pitch control instead yeah. of like the sliders. The sliders yeah. And I was like, dude, I'll take it, man. Let's do it. And so I bought it from him for like 50 bucks or whatever. And I took that and then I had a CD player, man. And I would be playing like low profile and I'd be scratching over the shit. You dude. were scratching already? Yeah, dude. Well, trying. I mean, oh, it sounded yeah. like shit. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I would have like three records and you're and, like so, somewhere out there. There's, a, yeah. there's this little girl going, yeah, there's this DJ playing them like Incinera and you, I don't know what the I fuck her name was playing. Alma or something like that. I can't remember, but, <laughs> but you uh, remember that, that day for the rest of her life. You, yeah. you know that, right? But yeah, so that was my first gig, man. If someone like, you know, was drunk and kicked a hole in, you know, someone's uncle or someone kicked a hole in the speaker and I blew the amp and, it didn't end well, but I was excited. You know, I was like, ah, and I, I think I did a few more house parties where, you know, equipment got damaged and I was like, all right, you know, never again am I doing house parties. And I think even after I said that a couple of times, I maybe did one or two more house parties. <laughs> but uh, I'll get anyhow. your name out and impress the, impress the girls too. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works. Wait, so then you, had, you entered the, the DJ battle. Oh, yeah, sorry, battles. I digress, man. So, yeah, so the DJ battle thing. It was actually put on by Spin Masters, that place. Yeah. The, where, the DJ store in, in Garland, man. They, they put on a, um, a DJ battle called uh, Sound Wars. Sound Wars, too, yeah. And it was, um, uh, it was in, gosh, I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was 95. maybe like 90. Okay, yeah. I think there was, there was a Sound Wars 1 and 2. I was in two or three Sound Wars, I think. Mm-hmm. But the, the one that, uh, I was in one right before I moved here. So I moved here in 95 in the fall of 95 so to go to school yeah right so i guess i were maybe in the summer or whatever but i think the battle was maybe in the spring maybe i don't remember but anyways uh you got second place man i got second place and you know who got first place well i don't think you know him but he's an austin legend and is uh, dj casanova yeah uh, um, uh, uh chicken george kept talking about him so Cass I don't think I ever met him beat me dude and i was like what the fuck you know um 
but uh, I met T Double at that time too, man. He T Double was for some reason. I guess him and Cass were homies at the time. T was down. You yeah, T Double was missing. And too. Uh, and, f- and it's f- funny to hear those names back again. It's <laughs> fir- first and second prize were skateboards, man. Which was cool for me because I'm like, oh, cool. But like, I know Cass was probably like, what the fuck is this? I don't skate. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a weird prize. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so I, I did the DJ battle thing for a couple times. But uh, but yeah, that. Um, but was it, it at that point you were it was all uh, hip hop you were scratching? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, just straight. Like in that battle, 90s. I remember using like lyrics, man. Like Oh, nice. Uh, you know, like. I don't. I re, I still remember what the record looks like, but I don't remember what song it was. But I I remember. Yeah, was, that was a. Uh, so were yeah. you? Um, you know, even though you're in Texas, in Texas hip hop was, mm-hmm. like Texas hip hop had its own, I guess image. I guess right. Because I mean, when I when I got here in '98, well, that's been a little bit. Uh, that's later, but um, Texas hip hop had a sound, and it's not until I heard. Um, People like Chaotix uh, and who else was around? Um, uh, v Zilla. Mm-hmm. Well, Chicken Joys. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken Joys. They're like, oh, shit, there's actually a boom bap sound in Texas. Well, man, you got to keep in mind, dude, it goes way deeper and previous, way previous to that, man. Yeah. Like, um, you know, if you listen to even on a mainstream level, I mean, I'm just picking off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm. Um, anything from rap a lot, man, from like the late 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen to the Ghetto Boys, man. Um, you know, they... they Well, uh, you're into that at the time, too? Hell yeah. And I'm not talking about, like, my mind's playing tricks on me. I'm talking about early Ghetto Boys, man. Like, yeah. 80s Ghetto Boys. You know, like, car-free Ghetto Boys and, like, shit like that is, you know, um, talking loud but ain't saying nothing. It's very East Coast sounding, man. Like, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, like... Um, but, you know, Texas did have a sound, too. It was, I would say, influenced by the East Coast and then... You know, you had some Dallas cats that were heavily influenced by some of the same influences as me, like the whole lowrider scene, the Miami bass scene, the car scene, right? Like yeah. you had a lot of like Nemesis, you know what I mean? And um, you know, Ron C and and you know, with Trendsetter and stuff like that was to me a very Texas sound, but it was like a mixture of like you know, maybe a little bit of Miami bass influence in that, you know, um, but you were already in car a, culture type of stuff. But you were already integrating that in your in your music I and mean, what you were playing at the time. I well, I wasn't really, you know, at that time, man, like, you know, I was in high school or or, or uh, yeah, high school or senior high or whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. and and there wasn't really it was more about mixtapes for me back then, you know. OK, um, it wasn't really the battle thing was actually kind of spawned because a lot of my friends were like, dude, you're so awesome. Like, what the hell? You're making all these tapes. Like, you're always... But I wasn't... I was playing house parties, and, you know, I was too young to play a club, man. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I would go to clubs here and there. I remember s- seeing a DJ battle at a um, at a club. I think it was, like, one of my first clubs I ever was in in Deep Ellum, you know, and uh, was just blown away by the whole DJ battle concept, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this dude... I never forget, man. Shout out to uh, Del Furious, man, from uh, who actually DJed for Justin Timberlake, if you can believe it. Nice, amazing, amazing turntablist from Dallas. Um, I saw him battle when God, he can't be that much older than me, and he must have been, you know, like fifteen or sixteen, and he was in this club like just killing shit, and he did this trick. It blew my mind, man. I'd never seen it before. It was when, uh, 
you basically know where the beginning of a song is or, or a, a break is about to, you know, it's like a silence on the record and then the yeah. song comes back in. But he had it all queued up, was doing his beat juggle thing and then would spin it to that break where it was silence and he would spin around and everyone would think he fucked up. And he would look at the crowd and then he would point because he knew right when it was going to drop and then the shit would drop and everyone would be like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> like, I remember he did that at that. And, and I mean, I was like 15 or 16 watching that. Like, always had a lot of respect for those kind of DJs, man. Not, mm-hmm. not necessarily, that's because that's what I came up with was watching. My impression of a DJ was somebody that was, you know, working with an MC, you know, a la DJ Aladdin, right. or like in a battle, you know, like Hubert. You know, Mixmaster Mike and those cats and, and like, you know, Del Furious or, you know, so, Baby G, right? So I, I did not really have the experience of like when I was 15 going to a club and being like, all right, you know. Yeah. I knew about mixtapes and, and mixing on the radio from Baby G, right? And that's like, Baby G really made me appreciate um, a well-rounded DJ, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so that was from you, you, met him, you met him in Dallas, yeah. And then you came to Austin in 95, 95 you said. 95, yeah. And then went to school. So when did the, then you went to, um, did the KVRX thing, right? Yeah, yeah. When I when I came down for orientation, um, and, and like, I guess you come for orientation like the summer before you come. Yeah. So it was like summer of 95. I, I remember coming in, you know, nobody's in school, right? It's like, I mean, people are maybe living in the dorms or whatnot, but there was like temporary people doing the radio but they gave us the tour of the campus and mm-hmm. I'm going, uh, I went, you know, here's Jester dormitory. And at the time KVRX was near this, uh, I don't know if it was a woman's dorm or what, but it, we, you basically walked through, it was kind of near Gregory gymnasium and you walk through there and they're like, all right, this is the student radio. And it was just like a small fucking room. And I'm like, what the hell is this, this is tiny, you know? And I go in there and I see this, um, you know, those postal bins, where it's like kind of like a plasticky kind of bin that yeah um, yeah 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 yeah. you see at the post office and shit you they throw mail and shit in there they had one sitting there with like a stack of like 30 records and it just said like grab one you know or whatever and i'm like every you know and i'm in this line at orientation and there's all these like people that don't give a shit about the radio or music or anything and they're just standing there and i'm at the back of the line i'm like fuck you guys i'm about to go dig in for some records so i just like dip out and i'm like biggie 10 crack commandments like (laughs) fucking free dude i'm like whoa you know so i just start grabbing all the shit and i made a mental note i'm like these dudes obviously don't have a hip-hop show if fucking 10 crack commandments is sitting in the damn freebie bin you know what's the deal so when i come back you know and fall i'm like you know number one on the agenda like screw school number one on the agenda is get on that damn radio station Mm -hmm. that was number one thing well it turns out that there actually was a show on there is it mike swing show no 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 um it was it was carrying less the house of fat beats and so it was every thursday and these cats, man, uh, uh, just blew my mind, man, with their in-depth knowledge. They they didn't mix live on the air, mm-hmm. but they had the latest shit, and they didn't care how they got it. If one of their homies from New York had a clue tape or whatever, they would like play that shit, and it would be East Coast, West Coast, Dirty. It didn't matter the subgenre. It was like late at night or something, or did people? Really it was catch it? it was eleven. I believe it was eleven to one on Thursday. Oh, dude, it was. Let me explain something to you, man. In Austin around that time, 
the club scene for hip hop like was non-existent, at least as far as my perspective. I'm, I know probably some listeners are going to be like, oh, you're wrong. Yeah. Now, I'm talking about 1995. There was shit going on in clubs, but very few and far between, man. There wasn't DJs doing a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. man. There were club scenes, but it was mainly rock and stuff like that. Um, it, again, from my perspective, I could be messing up. I forgot up. before. Sounds but, like uh, the radio scene was where the hip hop culture was. And I guarantee you this, it was where the hip hop culture, the current hip hop culture was. So when Outkast dropped, um, uh, Jazzy, uh, Jazzy Bell, mm-hmm. I never forget it, dude. Les was the first dude in Texas guaranteed to play that shit, man. And it blew my mind. He played it on a cassette tape and we all like shit in our pants when we heard it. And it's like, that's, and it was a massive crowd of people like, T-Double was there. T-double that's where I met yeah, T-Double. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, <laughs> you know, Bavu was there. That's where I met Bavu. That, I mean, if you were anybody in the hip-hop scene in Austin in around 95, you were at the House of Fat Beats, period, dot. Like, hey, it was a community, man. That shit does not exist right now, period, man. Like, I've never... There's been a few things since that I've seen, kind of, but it's not on a hip-hop tip, really. It's more on, like... Like Exploded Drawing has something similar for beat makers, you know, mm-hmm. or like Texas Scratch League for like, you know, us turntablists, you know. But for like the the generic hip hop head that just loves music, that was a very special time here in Austin, man. Um, so you, you end up end up working for those guys? Or then well, I end up I end up I end up doing. So you have to be a student, right? So yeah. I was a student. So I was like, all right, man, let's do this, you know. Man, I regret so much. <clears throat> I wanted to do that too when I was at UT for three years. Yeah, you should have, man. I it didn't go with my schedule, and I'm like, yeah. See, that I, was my schedule. I, I based know. my <laughs> life around. I mean, dude, I was so addicted. And when I got out of my parents' house, like I love my parents to death, but I was like, dude, I'm about to go crazy. Like this is gonna be awesome. Were you hanging man. out Tower Records at the time? I was doing a Sound Exchange, man. Oh like, yeah, dude. Shout to uh, what was his name? Uh, DJ Dare, man. Like that dude was. That's a whole separate side story. I'm gonna go on and on <laughs> about these side stories. But to get that's back to the we're topic, talking for 45 minutes. So 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 real quick, man. Like the way that the that the B side, which is the name of my show, started was, um, uh, one of my homies, uh, Brock from uh, Plano went to high school with me. He came down. Uh, to go to UT. I think he was going to ACC actually at the time, trying to get into UT. But um, he stayed at Castilian and then I stayed at Doby. Um, yeah. And so we would go, you know, every Thursday, man, we'd ride up there. We'd, you know, smoke out and check out the show and hang out and meet all these people. And i I just started plugging away. Like, how do I get a show? Turns out you have to kind of pay your dues. You can't just get an FM show. They're not going to just give you an FM right. show. So I had at the time, and I think maybe they still do split the airwaves with co-op. So during the day, it's it's co-op, K-O-O-P. Mm-hmm. And at, in the evenings, it switches over um, like at 7 p.m. to um, KBRX. Well, during those crazy hours, I think like at 5 in the morning or maybe parallel, they, they, run, they used to run this like cable radio. And it was like 99.5. And I don't know if it wasn't FM. It was like... 99.5 on who knows what fucking dial and how can anyone even listen to this you know but i didn't give a shit i was like i'm at the station it's the same station uh-huh. it's just not broadcasting on fm right so they're like all right you goofy cat you can have the the saturday night at 5 a.m which is you know sunday morning for an hour five to six right and i mean I would, you know, party Saturday night and then I would go to bed for like two hours and I'd call up Brock and would be like, yo, man, come on. 
and and me and Brock would do the show and we would just play our favorite stuff and we just sit in there and smoke or drink or whatever and so just play wh- stuff. So how are you getting your stuff? Um, I, I would be getting my stuff through, you know, uh, uh, they had turntables, so I was playing vinyl or I was playing CDs or tapes, anything, man, recorded off of, you know, ah, oh, man, you got that new Wu-Tang or you got that new blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I would just, you know, stay up on the source. I would, I mean, just any avenue, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, the internet was around then, you know, yeah, so it, was. it wasn't big, you know what I'm saying back then, but, um, you know, anything, dude, anything. So, um, uh, so yeah, basically, you know, we would uh, did we did that show for, and I had another homie, uh, Wale uh, did that. This dude named Wale did uh, uh, Wally actually, or, yeah, Wale did the show with me, and and it was me, him, and Brock, or I think Brock couldn't do it, and then Wale would do it for a little while. Wale was an MC, mm-hmm. and we did that for about six months, and then they promoted me. They liked the show, or maybe an opening happened to Saturday night. Man, I was like, are you shitting me? So like six months in, you know, to my in '95, I got an FM show, and immediately I was like, "Yo, I gotta get, um, I gotta get, I gotta DJ." No one was DJing on the air, like less than them were live on the air. Yeah, yeah, dude. I was like, "I got a DJ. I got a spin record. Bring my turntables up there." Um, and and shout out to Jason Dozier because actually at the time, at the beginning, I don't think I even had my turn i didn't have my turntables down in austin because i lived in a fucking dorm i lived in doby um and i didn't have no room dude it was one room yeah it was me and my roommate, dude it was like i didn't I, I killed me i couldn't have my turntables for my first year at ut you know so um for that like last four or five months you know what i'm saying after that i did cable for about six months and then and then i got the uh the fm show i needed turntables i was like yo jason dozier hooked me up man shout out to him he, he's in new york now but um um anyway anyways man uh uh around that same time man i it was a different time man i was battling and i and i thought pretty highly of myself and um and that's kind of how you had to do it from when you're when you were like in the dallas scene man like it was just a different scene man austin people were like to me like real soft man like i was like really until you met buffalo (laughs) Because <laughs> Babu was pretty hard back then. Too. Well, Babu wasn't from Austin, man. Yeah, yeah. Babu was from, that's yeah. what I'm saying, dude. I mean, like, but but I don't mean hard in terms of like gangster or anything. No, no, like no, that. no. I, I don't mean what you're like, like not yeah, overly yeah. nice, like, we'll tell you what time it is kind of people, you know? And, yeah, yeah, of course. Um. Anyways, I, I, I remember. So radio wasn't the only thing, man, like going on back then. There was there was access TV, man. Uh channel I believe it was 15, man. Um it used to have a UT had an access station and then it same kind of thing. It flipped to a community station during the day or you know, it's very similar to co-op and KVRX. You yeah, know, yeah. One is UT and the other one is community radio. Um I, I think that's how it worked, but but uh but T-Bone um uh had had a show uh aaron aaron tabalt had a show uh on access and he would play hip-hop videos and it was like a rap city but you know he would have people on and i was like oh this is dope but then fucking ladi da had a show dude where he was djing live and then playing videos and it was like on i don't know it was it was pretty popular right and so i got the bright idea to uh after seeing ladi da and being this egotistical you know idiot that i was i was like i, I could take this kid you know he thought you could take laddie though. so i called him i called up on the show and i was like yo i don't remember even you know how they do those things like yo call up if you want to hear anything and i'm like i don't want to hear shit i want to fucking battle you and all of his boys are like <laughs> "Ooh, 
and like it was like this big thing, you know. And I was like, I was like, please tell me you did it live on the air. Yes, nice. And so he, but I got to give it up to Lydell. He was gracious enough to let that happen. But you got to understand, Lottie Da was very, you know, um, he wasn't like soft. Like I imagine, like, like other Austin DJs and cats. That I've went heard Lottie Da battle, but the last few years, you know, so, so like me calling him out in hindsight was like kind of crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I didn't have any homies here really. So I remember walking into the station and it was me and Brock and and it was just like all these like all the Lottie Da's like, you know, Mexican homeboys, like big dudes. And I'm thinking <laughs> I'm about to because in Dallas, you do some shit like that. You might a fight might go with that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I got to bring Brock just in case because I'm this little scrawny white dude. I was like, I need someone that can help, you know, but nothing went down, man. Like we, we battled, you know, and um, who won? I I don't even I'll let Lottie die fill that in, man. But uh, it was, just say it. That's man. not the point of the story. No, though. I get it. I get it. The point of the story isn't even to, to to discuss the winner or loser of it. It was more. I brought it up more so to to illustrate two things. One that I was like crazy back then and would do some shit like that. And it's not that crazy, right? But no, like, no. you know, that I would do that. It's not the Nick that most people know. The other thing is that Lottie Da was gracious enough, and to give props to Lottie Da for I actually kind of cite him uh, for putting me on, man, because like he gave me that stage and like. It really boosted my popularity. And then in exchange, when I got the FM show, I asked him to be the DJ with me. Oh, so nice. Lottie Da and I started um, the first, you know, mix show on uh, KBRX, man. And uh, we did it for a while. And then we had our own little DJ crew, you know, the infamous DJs. And uh, yeah, we were like the dynamic duo, man, for like, you know, 96, 97. Um and then I don't I don't want to say we had like a falling out. It was like Lottie Da like had that that like I want to battle, I want to do this and that. And like I wasn't really I was str- like kind of steering away from that and wanting to be more musical and it 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 um we just had more differences. Mm-hmm. I think is what it was maybe and then so you know, he went off and did his thing and then uh that's when X-Man came on to do the show with me. And I met X-Man, I never forget it, at the House Fat Beats. They actually were kind of I maybe uh, feeling like we need to get some DJs on the air, you know? So they would have these guests. <laughs> and so they had X-Man. And, I'm, and I, dude, I love those guys, man. Like, yeah. they, their show was a better show than our show. I'm not afraid to admit it. Like, they, like, we DJed, but, like, I liked to listen to their show. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like they they had a great freaking show. So props to to Carrie and Les and 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 Jeff Cashless and everyone that was a part of that show. Man, it was great. But uh, they asked they 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 asked uh, X Man Xavier to be a guest DJ because Xavier was huge, man, in the club scene. He was running. I shit. didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, dude, he was like he was in a crew called the Foundation DJs, DJ uh, uh, Snotty Snoopy. And um, <laughs> nice name. And Xavier, yeah. Um, Wait, I th- so uh, I on. think actually Snotty, if I'm not mistaken, actually started Mel's. Uh, yes, uh, the um, yeah, ah. blow pop or or not blow pop. What's it called? Uh, nasties. The, the nasties. nasties. The nasties yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, the nasties. So do, do you? Um, yeah, we've been talking for almost an hour now, so you got a lot to cover. Sorry, man. No, it's fine. I love the stories. I love the stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope uh, those listening right now are enjoying this too. I know you are. Anyway. So you do the radio thing, and then you become kind of a 
like in terms of the hip hop scene here in town, people know, okay, Nick Knack, he has a show. Um, he's into all the shit that's happening. Uh, and then you start the hip hop Mecca thing, right? Was that around the same time? That's right. Much? Yeah, yeah. So we started Hip Hop Mecca. Um, I say we because it, it wasn't just me. It was it, it was me and Dave Crump. Um, and the way that started was from relationships. You're absolutely right. That's a perfect segue. Um, relationships that were built up through doing radio. Like when you do radio, you know, naturally you want to play. People seek you out. They want to put get their records on your show. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. And it's not local people only, right? Like. It's not Mirage and Bavu and cats like this only. It's like, you know, you know, Domo, a Domino from, you know, Hieroglyphics or whoever is hitting you up going, I want to, I want you. I to. mean, you had the roots come down, right? A, a lot of cats, man. You know what I'm saying? And so Hiro is one example. Like I became good friends with, um, I wouldn't say good friends is maybe a stretch, right? But I would talk on the phone on a weekly to semi-weekly basis with, um, you know, Domino from uh, from Hieroglyphics, which was the which was the manager, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, he just threw the idea out there. He's like, "Man, you know, you're you guys are are playing a lot of Hiero, like like Hieroglyphics, like you know, West Coast underground hip hop mm-hmm. is huge in Austin. Like, I I see the charts. Like, we report to you know Gavin and CMJ and stuff, and I see you guys are playing the shit out of this stuff, man. And and everyone in Texas, like, let's do a tour, man. And I'm like. Oh, that, that sounds cool, you know. <laughs> so like, I you know I had just met this dude um, through Chris Martin, who is a, is a home was a homie since I first moved. I didn't really mention him, but shouts out to to Chris Martin, um, Mad Guys, Mad Guys, yeah. Um, and and uh, who he would always call his brother Julian. Um, shouts to Max Julian. He was also a big part of the B Side Radio Show. Um, uh, both of those brothers, uh, uh, actually, Julian had a mentor by the name of Dave Crump, who was from Boston, who had family in Seguin, and so would come, he was living in Austin, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, grew up in Boston, but like through big hip hop shows in Boston when he was, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever. And so I would meet with this brother, Dave, you know, and we would hang out and, you know, we would be, you know, drinking on the porch late night talking, oh, he'd be reminiscing about, oh, Boston, this and that. So whenever Domino said to me, hey man, why don't we do some shows? You know, I was like, bing like let me holler at this dude dave because he's got the know-how i don't know the first thing about throwing shows you know i know everything there is to know at least in my mind about djing and like <laughs> i know a shitload of mcs because the radio i know everyone from bavu to yeah you know jag and all these local cats architectonics and you know shout to them um uh so you know i was like you know what i you know i need to pause for one second to give a shout out to grapefruit who is the first dude who welcomed me and I DJed for him in Austin. So shout out to Grapefruit who goes by Notes, Notes Floats. Um, oh yes, Scott Walsh. So shout shout to him, man. Like that. I don't know Floats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's dope, man. So, um. Any anyway. So I thought about this hip hop mecca thing, and he and you know these all these guys I'm mentioning are were a part of hip hop mecca too. Like we booked them to open up, or mm-hmm. they helped support. You know. So I reached out to Dave and was like, Yo, let's do this, man. You know, Domino's down. Let's talk about it. Boom, boom, boom. We had been playing at this club called Electric Lounge. And, um, you know, when I say we had been playing, I meant, I mean, like myself and a couple of other of the local DJs had been, you know, DJing here and there um, at that at that club. And so I knew the the manager, the you know, the owner at the time. I don't know if he was the owner, but manager of the club, Mike Henry. So 
I mentioned that to Dave as like a spot. Let's think, let's consider, the, you know, the electric lounge. So that became like the triumvirate right there, man. Like uh, really it was, you know, me and Dave coming up, you know, my connection with the artists through the radio station and then Dave's expertise and know-how when it comes to like, you know, uh, putting together the, lo the logistics of putting together a show. Uh -huh. So we did our first show in 1997, Hieroglyphics, man, sold out at Electric Lounge. I mean, it was insane, man. Like one of the craziest shows, the, the floor of the place was completely wet. <laughs> um, and we went on to do like like a lot of great shows, man. Um, yeah, yeah, we got to bring Gangstar. Um, we didn't bring uh, Gangstar, but we did bring Guru on like two occasions, oh, nice. man. And I actually DJed for Guru. That picture that is floating around on Facebook, yeah, with me and Guru is when I DJed for him, you know. And uh, and yeah, it was one of the best days of my life. He came out. He goes, man. He well, first he came out and yelled at me for playing. Um, uh, EVA because you know it was uh, just to get a rep sample, but I played the original and he's like, "Man, what the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, "Sorry, sorry, dude." Sorry, sorry. And then sorry. he's like, "He's love, like, don't do that." And I was like, "I, it's not the same. It's a sample." But I was like, "You're right. I shouldn't have played that." But then after I DJed, he was like, "He's like, yo, man, knickknack. He's like, your DJ premiere for the night." And I, to me, that was like the, one of the wow. best compliments. I was like, "Holy shit, this DJ premiere!" You didn't shit like, your pants right there. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, it was um, unbelievable, man. But I, I had another funny experience, like Hip Hop Mecca with Guru. Like, we had a really good relationship, Dave did, with with Guru. Because Dave's from Boston, Guru's from Boston, right? Yeah. So Dave and Guru had a really, really good relationship, man. Like, you know, Guru got the key to the city of Austin because of Dave and Hip Hop Mecca, man. Like, mainly Dave, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But uh, I never forget 2000, um, South by Southwest um, at Stubbs. I'm DJing as the house DJ. A dead Prez is one of the headliners. E Rule Supreme. Oh, E Rule, yeah, man. You know, listen yeah, up, I know E Rule. Yeah, yeah. You do. Up, yeah. yeah, dude. So E Rule performed. Um, uh, like I said, Dead Prez. Uh, um, and Guru was the host, and Lil Dap was there, dude. So check this out, man. Me and me, I'm getting excited even talking about it. <laughs> me and Info, I got photos of this shit. It was fucking crazy, dude. Uh, um, Guru comes up to me. And uh, so he's hosting, right? He, that's it. He's not rapping or anything. And he come, and I'm just playing instrumentals, dude. And info's like scratching here and there. And that's it. And Guru's talking like, yo, next up we got, you know, Dead Prez all the way from, you know, Brooklyn or, you know, wherever they're from. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and so at one point he comes out and, and he, he looks back at me. I don't know what song I was playing. And no, I was playing Dwick. And I, I played Dwick and he goes... He goes, he looks back at me and he's like, yo, knickknack. He goes, let me run my verse. And think about that for a second, dude. If Guru tells you, let me run my verse, as a hip-hop head, do you even remember which one of the three verses Guru's verse is? I mean, most cats might, but on the instrumental with nothing to go to, I'm like, fuck, is it verse two or is it three? Like, I don't remember. <laughs> and I'm in front of like a thousand kids and I'm like, fuck. And so I just like, I was like, I think it's verse two. So I found it and it was vinyl, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm skipping around. I'm like, fuck. And he's standing there saying some shit. He's like, yo, we're, he's like, Austin, how y'all doing? You know, he's hyping the crowd up. And then, uh, and then I just, uh, I dropped it, man. And he fucking kicked that whole verse, dude. You got it right? Yeah, man. He, I couldn't believe it, dude. It was crazy. I was like, holy shit, guru. But, uh, <laughs> Anyway, sorry, that was a total tangent, man. But no, that, that's fine. That, I love I love stories like that, and I hope you're enjoying it too. But um, 
so once you got done with uh, Hip Hop Mecca, did it like die off or what happened? Well, so it? my involvement with it, so basically what had happened, so our, our I believe it was our second show, maybe our third show, we did Organized Confusion. Yeah. With, before uh, they broke up, like right before they broke up, you know what I mean? And so after the show, dude, I never forget this shit, man. So again, you know, props to, big ups to Chris and Julian. Um, you know, Chris would, would run the merch um, and, and sell Mad God shirts, but also any merch from the artists, right? Mm-hmm. He would run the merch table or whatever. And so after the show, and I, I had gotten into the role of like booking the artists or helping book the artists. And then really my job was more so stage managing. I would book all of the local talent or suggest who we should book. And then I would DJ it or, you know, book like, okay, me and Info or me and X-Men or, you know, whatever. Um, and provide the, the gear, right? The turntables and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So after the organized confusion show, it was at Electric Lounge. Everyone's, you know, leaving and shit. And then fucking Julian or somebody's like, yo, after party at Nick's house, you know, Feral Munch, everyone's going to be there. Out of like, nowhere? I'm like, what? You know what I'm <laughs> saying? And like, I thought it was kind of bullshit. But then I get back to my apartment and I don't even know how the fuck like people got into my apartment, man. Like, but there was people in my apartment, dude, just like chilling. Not a lot, but like maybe Pharaoh 30 there? or 40. Pharaoh and Prince Poe were there. And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh spent a, spilled a fucking 40 on my bed, man. I was mad at <laughs> that dude. I'm like, what the fuck, bro? But uh, yeah, he ended up like being like he, I don't, I don't really want to speak on it much because I don't know him that well. Mm-hmm. But um, he was more like to himself, you know, Pharaoh Monch was. He was, I think he was drinking a 40 or something or, or maybe he kicked over some girls for He was talking to some chick on my bed and i'm like dude please don't have sex on my bed like you know that's weird but anyway so he did his own thing and then i was outside smoking with prince poe and some of the other you know cats that they came down with yeah and just telling stories and just you know talking about the show and i prince poe and i became fast friends you know so much so that he was like dude i really like y'all out here man y'all are cool as shit you know like let's record some shit and so I'm like, you know, the same kind of thing as like when Domino was like, yeah, man, let's do a show. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, what am I going to do? So I I, uh, I called the only dude that I really knew that really had shit popping on that level, um, Casanova. You know, he had a studio. And I was like, yo, man, we got Prince Poe. We want to cut a single, man. We, we want to cut a record. So we started this record label, me and X-Man. Uh, and and uh, his roommate Dave, we started a record label called Five Finger Records. Five Fingers, yeah. And we got Bobby Dixon to design the logo, the two Fs that on the label that yeah. they spin around. And then, uh, which shout out to Bobby Dixon, man. I I look at all these old photos from all the back in the day, and the only damn t-shirts that i'm wearing is like asiatic and i'm I'm never wearing the same one. I think that <laughs> dude gave me. I must have like a thousand asiatic shirts, you know. Um, but yeah, anyways, man, we recorded so that, that, man. That long that, time, what is it called again? Long Distance. Long was, Distance, Long Distance. And yeah. shout out to Foulmouth. You know, that was another mentor of mine production-wise. Uh, the whole Waxworks, Waxworks recordings, Foulmouth. Um, Brother K lived with Foulmouth, who's another Austin legend. Um, and Big J, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they were a part of that, that, you know, that release as well. I mean, you work with... Uh, um you had that thing with Bavu. I mean, I'll drop it ahead a little bit because we've been talking for an hour. Yeah, I'm now. sorry. Skip around as much. I'll shut up and let you guide more. <laughs> no, that's around. fine. Look, I, this is my my favorite type of, of show, and I can just ask one question and, and then just, just run your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benzo did it. Bavu did it. <laughs> Mel does it. I don't. I love it. I love it because I love those stories. But so, 
um, once you became like kind of a fixture pretty much in Austin, like you brought on a bunch of people on uh, Chicken George gave you mad props for uh, putting them on a silhouette. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then. Love uh, that dude. Yeah, fuck. And then you guys worked on. Uh, no, no, no. And then Bible Base with a soundscape thing. Um, then you had, of course, Chaotix. And by the way, like a, like a, like we've talked about before, I fell in love with Chaotix the first time I heard them. I think everyone seriously. Does, I'm like I mean, big I, ups I, to the R, you know. I love. I got to meet him. Uh, I had Malverde one time because uh, he's in my chicken. wedding, man. Oh yeah, it was. He's one of the groomsmen. Damn, that dude. I've DJed with him in Malverde. Yeah, he's a, he's one of my best friends. Yeah, he's maybe maybe that was you. I think that, that was, was you. Yeah, yeah. That was you that yeah. I met him through. Yeah, I was like, dude, yeah. you have no idea. Yeah, I remember that. Universal yeah. was like my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. He's the homie, yeah. So wait, were you always knickknack, or did you have a, Did you were playing around with names before? No, no. I, I've for as long as I can remember, I've been knickknack. Um, Who came up with it? You did. You know that's funny, man. I think maybe Brock or some of those cats did. Like, uh, it wasn't a name that I came up with. You know, it was. I, I mean, when you think about, some people are calling me DJ Nichols. You know, um, <laughs> it, everyone had different names, but of all of the names, see, I'm of a firm belief that. Not maybe not as strong. That's probably not a firm belief, but I'm of the belief if you can, you should get your name from your homies. You know what I mean? Or yes. people like you shouldn't make up your own name because it's not as authentic. I believe you know, mm-hmm. it, and it's more um, has the potential to be a little more egotistical. But unfortunately, if you let your homies come up with it, it has the potential to, you know, like DJ Nichols. I mean, like that's pretty cheesy, you know. So I thought <laughs> of all the names that they gave me. Give me some um, other ones. Nichols. Dude, Brock used to call me the alien head DJ, man. He'd be like, knick-knack, the alien head. Or he didn't say knick-knack. Well, he, later he said knick-knack, the alien head DJ. But he would say, um, you know, alien head, blah, blah, blah. Because I, I used to get fades. And I had this like weird bump in the back of my head. And they'd be like, you look like an alien, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, I shoot, I don't remember all the names, man. But none of them were any good, you know what I mean? And and uh, so knickknack just it's it's stuck, man. And mm-hmm. and and it wasn't just me. It's, it was one of those things that I couldn't not be called that. Like that's what everyone called me, man. It's like I didn't really choose that name, you know. It's uh-huh. not like I was like, "Yo, dudes, let's have a meeting. Y'all <laughs> gonna start, on. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all gonna start calling me knickknack." It wasn't like that at all. It was just uh, that's just what happened. You but know? were you were you playing? Um did you have regular gigs like in clubs? I don't in, in high school. No, no, I didn't hear in Austin when you got. Oh, to- I did. Yeah, yeah. So, so after the sort of like hip hop mecca thing, um, the the club thing, like I was the first DJ at Plush. Actually, oh, shout out, shout out to Bavu right. for that, man. Bavu either um, introduced me to um, uh, the owner or manager or whatever Tweety, um, uh, or he suggested or or maybe both strongly suggested, dude. Get off your ass, quit complaining, and do that, you know. And so I was like, all right. Either way, mm-hmm. shouts to Bavu um, for putting that in in my ear, and you know, definitely making the introduction. Uh, so yeah, I sp- I spun um, at Plush for many years, man. On Saturday night, that's what started the whole hip hop on Saturday night thing, man. Yeah. Was was was. I mean, shout to Bavu again because I think you know really came from him. Um, but did you play? Um, I played at Firehouse when they first opened. Raf shouts to Raf. Yes, um, he was one of the owners. He owns Irie Bean Coffee, and he just opened that new that uh, slab barbecue. There man. you go. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. He's also I, from Plano, man. So damn, what's up with? <laughs> I met that dude in the gym actually, and I, like we knew some similar people. And he's like, "You're from Plano?" He's like, "Come DJ 
And you meet people at the gym and you're like, yeah, I don't know if you're going to have a good bar, you know? And he's like, no, it's going to be dope, man. We got to, we're doing the DJ booth. And he's like, it's called Firehouse. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. And I went there and I was like, the sound is really weird, but I love Raph. He's super cool. Yeah. So, so I, I did that. Um, Raph uh, gave me, Raph put, had me put on my first party ever. Really? Yeah. Because I was, I was going to, love fi- that. Dude. I, was, I was going to Firehouse, Firehouse in Barcelona was like my two at the time. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Raph, how about I throw a party and I call it just because or just for the fuck of it or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, yeah, why not? And then I had, I think Diamond Tip played it. Oh, yeah. Shouts to Diamond, Diamond Tip. Diamond Tip played yeah. it. Uh, and yeah, it was it, my first party. I was like, yeah, it was called Why Not or some shit like that. Yeah. That's shout dope. out to Raph. Yeah, man. Shout out to Raph. That's a, yeah, that's cool. So I didn't have a huge stint, but I did. I mean... I didn't jump around to a lot of different clubs. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I did plush for many years, man. Like uh-huh. it wasn't just one year and I was like, peace out. I mean, I, I was the only DJ there, um, pr- like primarily keeping it afloat for at least six months. And then like they brought in, um, uh, they st- I think Baby G and Baby Mel G came in, yeah. and, and Baby G was on Thursdays and Mel was on Friday. And that was when it was the shit, dude. Like that club was the spot, man, for at least a solid year, year and a half. Uh, that's just what it was. And then mm-hmm. after I left, 15, DJ 15, yep. you know, from Garland as well. Shouts out to Sheldon, who's a huge part of, if not... It was Hip Hop Hump Day, part, right? He might be the reason why Hip Hop Hump Day started. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong on that, but shout out to him. He he took over on Saturdays. Um, and it's been, you know, and then after that, TMC, man. And, and you know... Uh, Plus, was always the Hip Hop spot anyway for you yeah man it down. It, but it was totally different yeah, when I, I started it man it was actually clean in there there's no graffiti <laughs> i'm not saying i prefer that i'm just saying it was yeah, actually yeah, totally yeah. different the dj booth was at one point it was when you first walk into the right uh which was weird and that little place where the atm is and that table you yeah. know what i'm saying that's where the dj booth was um i remember one night this dude fucking peed on the dj booth man he came in from outside and he's like, it was New Year's Eve, dude. And the door guy, the door <laughs> guy's like, the door guy's like, all right, man, come in. And he just comes in and he's like, hey, man, can I hear? And I look over and he was just talking. And and I look and he's got his pants to his ankles and he's peeing on like the DJ booth. And I flipped out. I stopped the record and I'm like, yo, what the fuck? You know, and like nobody wanted to touch him because his pants were on his ankles and he's whizzing everywhere. So <laughs> they're just like, we just kind of waited until he was done. <laughs> The whole club, dude. Like, there was no music. And then he's that's like... He got jumped right after that. Yeah, he chunked his ass out the door, man. But, I mean, that's one of the crazier stories from Plush. But uh, And so, I mean, yeah, that's what I noticed. You were not you didn't, you didn't, were not really jumping around from one club to the next. So, what were you doing at the time then? I mean, well, did, you got into producing or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, around... After we did the Five Finger Records thing, I, I um really realized, like, man, I want to do, you know, records and... and um, almost shortly, like almost immediately after that, that was gosh, ninety seven was I think uh, when we did the long distance record. Yeah. So maybe ninety eight is when I I met Bavu um at at uh I want to say the House Fat Beats um radio show and was like, yo, uh, or maybe I saw him. I think I saw Bavu. There was this club called Voodoo Lounge. What the actually, Voodoo Lounge actually, that was in the alley. No, it was. You remember where the real world was, Austin? Yeah, it was like next door to that. It was like next to the convention center. It was called Voodoo, like V O O D O O Lounge. I remember Voodoo Lounge. That you go through an alley to get in there, and you come in, and you go little. There's a few steps. 
No, this was like ninety. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Go ahead. Um, it was actually right next to, or nearby this other club called Yo Yo's, which is I think another old school. But um, I just remember two things about three. So three encounters about how I kind of met Babu. One was the radio. I don't remember in which order any of these happened, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, which is why I'm saying three things. <laughs> so Voodoo Lounge, I vividly remember Babu. It was on a Sunday night. They did some like they had like a hip hop night, and I know Xavier used to spin there. So Brock and I went out there, and I never forget, man. This dude was like drunk as shit, and he was wearing a straw hat. I never forget this, man, because I'm like, I've never seen somebody dress like Tommy Bahama. Like he had like <laughs> a Hawaiian shirt with like brown shorts and a straw hat, and was like visibly was drunk and like was killing it on the mic. And I was like, who in the hell is this dude? And he like lays on his back. And I think it was a freestyle. Like I think Xavier or somebody was DJing and it was like a freestyle session. And he just lays on his back, like on the stage in front of maybe like a hundred kids or something. And, uh, it's just killing it. And I thought I found out his name was Bavu. So then another, (laughs) another time that I wasn't there for, but it was like the stuff of legend, man. Was uh, it happened like maybe the year before I got to Austin, but or maybe it happened when I was on in Dallas or some shit. I don't know. But mm-hmm. it this place called Catfish Station. Catfish Station. It was on Sixth uh, Street. I don't remember exactly where, but uh, on Dirty Sixth for sure. Yeah, I call it Dirty Sixth now. And uh, <laughs> and so the Alcoholics were playing, and um, and and. I think I actually have the flyer for this. So I, maybe I was in Austin. I just didn't go to the show. Oh, I know what you're talking about. So Tash from the he Alcoholics. battled, right? Well, he talked shit. He was like, yo, um, like something about like none of y'all Austin. Like he was kind of, I don't know. You have to ask Babu. But then. I but had then, a, he talked about it on the show. Okay. Well, then Babu, the, the legend anyhow, because I wasn't there, was that Babu was like, I'll fucking battle you. And then like proceeded to like murder him. He and then Tash him. was like well, who's got the record deal and like drop the mic or some shit, something like that. I'm probably getting it wrong, but yeah, he did, he did bring that up uh, on the show when I had him. So Babu had this like aura about him when I first met him, like though, you know, from what I saw in person and what I had heard about. And then I met him and, 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 and like, he was cool as shit. And I'm like, I really like this dude's voice, like something about his voice. He's got that voice. And so I was like, I, I really want to work with you, man. And so we did the soundscape thing, man. And, and, and Yeah. Love, love. If you haven't heard the 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 Bavu show I had, just go back and just listen to the whole thing. The man's been <laughs> so amazing. many great stories, so many yeah. great stories. I mean, he's one of the one of the. And best. He's got a steel trap of a mind, unlike me, man. Like that dude remembers. He oh. would if he was sitting next to me, he would probably correct half of the stuff that I'm saying. You know, <laughs> it doesn't like, matter. It, look, it's still. It's so great. I love the guy. So you gotta you gotta go back and listen. Yeah. Wait. Man. So how did the um, so when you got the soundscape thing going, you got into you're pretty much into production at that point, right? Did you know anything about it, or how did it how did, did it work for you? Because well, I so I I I I don't know how or why I came across this, but I I I had an ASR10, an Insonic ASR10, which is a keyboard mm-hmm. based sampler. Um, it's what Kanye West ended up using, or maybe still uses a lot of cats. I did not buy it because I knew that other people used it per se. But I think that I, you know what, Foulmouth is a, is a producer um, that lived with Brother K, mm-hmm. who Brother K had a 
you know, he had the Dalla show, um, which was after, came after uh, in the Austin hip hop timeline of House Fat Beats and B-Side. But yeah. he was much, much more OG than us. Like he's been here, I think maybe his whole life and had a, a, a TV show. Gosh, I forget the name of it, but an access TV show, just like Ladi Da and T-Bone did. Um, maybe called Magic Video, I think it was called. Um, but anyways, uh, I would go hang with those dudes and I don't even remember how I met them, man, but probably just from the radio show. Right. And Foulmouth was like the dude, he was producing all sorts of amazing cats, you know, um, this group from Beaumont, which is where, um, QB, it was in a group called, uh, uh, they used to be called something else and they changed their name to environment. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they changed their name, I'm like, why they were called true and living, and they changed their name to Environment. I'm like, why the hell did you change your name to Environment? You know, like, True and Living was way doper. <laughs> Sounds like an 80s pub band. <laughs> yeah. No, those, those cats were cold, though, man. You know, G-Man, uh, uh, Greg Smoove, and QB. And then Foulmouth on the production. I was just like, they're on, they're on the Reconstruction album that I did, which mm-hmm. came just after my work with Babu and Soundscape, you know. Right, so um, how did you just learn from... Uh, I just was hanging out and was like, yo, I want to come learn. And so I'd see him and... Uh, I don't know. I I don't know where I got the the uh, the ASR ten from, but I bought it like somewhere. Shit, I don't even. So remember, you were, you were you were going to records and sampling. And oh yeah, I was one. big into records. I go to Sound Exchange, man. Yeah, and and dig. Um, and there was this other place called Treasure Tracks, which is where the Alamo Draft House before it just got torn down again. The bowling alley thing on was. Lamar, South Lamar. Yeah, there was a place called Treasure Tracks, which shout out to Star Sign got got me. Um, kicked out of there because he opened a sealed record even though he'll still deny it to this day but uh <laughs> yeah i used to dig with star sign i mean you know and, and a bunch of other cats too man and just by myself you know and so um i'd go to five miles crib and he would give me tips man hey this is how you sample you on the asr 10 man you know little dorky things like you know if you sample really fast you know, uh, and then play it back slow. You can chop the sample when you play it back slow. It's playing slower, so you can hear the dead airspace before the sample starts. So whenever you're chopping your samples, always do it on the bottom left of the keyboard as opposed to middle C or the top, right? Uh-huh. And I'm just like, oh, cool, man. Like you know, little tips like that. You'd learn about stuff, and you just listen to his production. And and so then I met, and then I go to the record conventions, and then lo and behold, I met the R. You know, and he also uses um. Uh, he actually used the EPS 16, but um, later used the ASR 10. That dude is a fucking master of the ASR 10. He's got videos online that you know him and Cipher filmed. Shout out to Cipher from Houston. You know, mm-hmm. like crazy shit, dude. But one one thing I noticed though, uh, going through your um, uh, or your releases is that the first albums and mixes, it's like it is that like 90s boom bap. Right. kind of sound i mean even the reconstruction yeah with yeah. the the one with soundscape the yep, one yep. with um like head crack and chaotic head crack and chaotic and, yeah. yeah so uh it's very boom bap and yep, then yep. is it around the time you met blaze that you started going towards more of a exactly, jazzy exactly. kind of thing yeah so i don't exactly know how the i don't know what came first was it the fact that um the dj scene or yeah, I mean the DJ scene didn't necessarily change, but it expanded, right? Like there was still when I left Plush, I think it was more like I found God again, you know. So I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna stop doing this club thing. I was just living crazy, drinking a lot, like. So I started, you know, 
more of a spiritual journey, which caused me to like reflect on the music that I was like playing and doing what I was doing. And and if you look at um, Improving Silence, like every track title is like a reference to something in the Bible, you know, mustard seed, salt of the earth, you know, Never stuff like this. So I get it. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no worries, that's man. Dope, that's dope. Um, but, but I think for me, that's, I'm just explaining sort of the yeah, change, yeah. right? So it was a combination of that combined with, you know, just getting a little more mature, right? I was in my mid twenties, maybe when Improving Silence came out, um, maybe early twenties. I don't know, but I wasn't like this young, crazy, you know, like, like DJing a plush kind of dude anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you met, you met Brennan and I met, and that's the other part of the equation is that it, well, it, two things. One, I met, I met Brandon and then also the DJ scene, you know, cats like chicken George would come up, um, and melodic and DJ sun and star sign and the cats that I really respected were playing down tempo, you know, and it was a more, uh, you would get booked to play gigs at like an art gallery and you would get paid a lot of money and it would be cool music, you know, and you'd be yeah. like, Oh, cool, man. Like you're not going to play like big daddy Kane, you know, at an art gallery at that point in time, it just didn't feel right. So we were like, okay, expanding, you know, finding new things. It was very, very hip hop influenced, man, right. you know, the beats and everything. Um, but yeah, I met, met Brandon Temple. I'm not really sure. Maybe Bavu actually may have made that happen. I'm not even really sure how I met Brandon, but ended up doing a gig with him. And, uh, well, for those who don't know, Blaze is a jazz quintet or that's jazz, right. da- yeah. jazz band pretty much. That's right. Yeah. And, and so uh, Brandon Temple Brandon is the a drummer. Brandon, this drummer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, th- there was a spot called Empanada Parlor and, and that's where Brownout really kind of cut their teeth. And, uh, that's where, um, baby G and his ring the alarm party really cut their teeth. And that's so where I was, that's where I was. And that's okay, why Mel was go. playing. Mel started rock the Cosmo there, didn't he? I don't know that. I think we talked about it. On, he had, I had him on a show. We talked about that too. That okay. he, he tried to save it. Uh, I think it was him and, um, and John Mighty actually. And they kind of extended the life of Empanada Parlor. Oh, cause the Hilton was maybe bitching yeah. about the sound shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, that's where, that's where I'm at Brandon, like, or rather where our first gig was. We did a gig there. I don't think it was just us. Maybe it was like opening up for, I don't even really exactly remember, man, but it was a total improv thing. Mm-hmm. And it was Brandon on drums, me on me DJing, and then uh, Dave Palmer with a keyboard playing melody, but also sampling whatever I was doing. So it was just like this meta. Was that the first like in town or that you know of that um, was doing that kind of stuff? Because I... It's, it, you wouldn't really probably so. You probably probably wouldn't quite okay. We got a jazz band, and then there's a DJ. That, that wasn't really a jazz band. That was just Brandon, and then and then a keyboard player that was not in our band. Oh, it was okay, another okay. dude who's actually lives in LA now. But yeah, it was more of an experiment. I think, however, I got introduced to Brandon. Whoever introduced us was like this dude, Nick. Like knows his shit and whatever he's doing, and you know your shit and what you're doing. Y'all need to join forces and just see what happens. And we mm-hmm. were both cool with it. We're like, hell yeah, you know? So we did it, and that was the first thing. It was the easiest thing, right? It was like, you know, the it had the most potential to be wide open. If you got us together with Blaze right off the bat, that's more structured because Blaze has songs that people know. Blaze was big before I joined Blaze, man. Oh, okay. Blaze was huge, man, like in town, you know? So 
Um, Hot Buttered Rhythm was another group that was big too. Um, with Bre- Brandon was in that group too. Um, so anyways, I joined it. I mean, I uh, played with Brandon and he dug it, man. He was like, yo, I really dig what you bring to the table. It's you play the turntable like a percussive instrument, like your the way you scratch and everything. So how about you uh, come sit in with Blaze? And I was like, uh, what? Like some like real musicians that are like amazing, like Ephraim Owens. Are you kidding me? And so I did. And all of those dudes were like, yeah, you're in. Like, so that kind of sealed it, man. When I, when I met the rest of the guys and we played and, uh, we went on to just do so many great things and they influenced me. I influenced them. I had them, you know, Yogi was on my last album, you know, laying baselines, mm-hmm. you know, he was on improving silence as well you know so um and dearly departed so i mean these guys are amazing musicians so is that is that when you kind of i mean you had that epiphany like you said and then after that i mean from what i heard you sound got your sound got really broad and really touching on all kinds of different uh it's not just that. I think that um, what I realized, man, so Reconstruction was an extension of the radio show kind of for me. It was like yeah. it was, one of the things that the radio show was was an avenue for local artists like Babu, Jag, mm-hmm. Headcrack, you know, cats like this to like promote their music, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, hey, I should do this on record and do like, you know, every track has a different MC kind of thing. But even if you listen to that album, there's several instrumentals, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, And then alongside me doing that, I would put out mixtapes that were just recordings of whatever weird shit that I would find, and it would be all instrumental, like some jazz mixed in with whatever the hell. All experimental, you know, me, <laughs> uh, let, me let me smoke out and play some stuff, you know? And so I think my musical releases kind of was was not, it didn't, necessarily go off in a different direction it kind of like blaze added to this the melting pot like if you listen to state machine which is my last album yeah it's more it it is you could compare it more to reconstruction than to improving silence which is an all instrumental jazzy type album right like state machine has add has bavu it has crew five four it has yeah. league of extraordinary g's um it's very much reconstruction esque, not necessarily in the way it sounds, but in the sense that it has MCs and it's hip hop. Yeah, you know. So, I wouldn't say that I strayed away from that sound. I think that I I went off on and, and just learned about other stuff and then brought that back into the fold. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you went on tour with them. Yeah. In Europe, uh, Spain, came back, did another. Uh, project with that i think yeah yeah we we went on tour um we did a north american tour i'm not sure in which order we did what but we did we toured north america in brandon's van or yeah brandon's van which was crazy i got to sit in the seat that didn't recline or didn't really work and (laughs) i got stuck doing the late night driving as the new guy you know um that was fun though we hit a lot of major cities um we ended up driving all the way up to hamilton ontario and back down. I mean, it was insane. Dude. Did that did that really put you on the map? Did people were like, "Oh, this this"? Uh... Man, I wouldn't say it put us on the map. I mean, jazz is like a different thing, man. It's like, but just having like a a jazz band with a DJ on board. Yeah, we got a lot of fans, man, for yeah. sure. Brandon is big, dude. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he that's... drums for you know the animals, Eric Burton and the animals, and like, 
you know, uh, what's his face? Eph- I mean, uh, what's her face? Sheryl Crow. Ephraim plays with Sheryl Crow. And oh, like right. <laughs> Yogi played with Steve Bruton before he passed away. I mean, these dudes are accomplished musicians in their own right. Yeah. They don't need Blaze to like. And that's actually why Blaze is kind of like, eh, whatever now. Because Blaze is comprised of, and I'm not at all talking about myself. I'm talking about those dudes. Is comprised of dudes that are full-time musicians that are amazing, you know, talented. It's like Brandon is the best drummer I've ever seen. Period, man. Like I would put him up against anyone, man, and not even bat an eye and go, "I'll throw down a thousand bucks on that battle," you know, or whatever. And Ephraim has got to be one of the most amazing, soulful dudes. That I just—I mean, these guys are my brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we've experienced so much shit together, and uh, so much growth. Um, nothing but respect for these guys, man. And they're on a different level than me, man. These guys are, and they are, you know, they're making a living off this shit, man. Right. But I, I mean, um, so then you, you even developed your own thing, the sound craftsman thing. Yeah. So the whole time I was, you know, doing all this other stuff, I've never stopped being a turntablist and a nerdy scratch guy. That's just loves the DJ Aladdin type of stuff. Right. So, um, I always kept that up, man. And so I thought I need to give back to that community. So that's what Sound Craftsman was, just a release of... I actually did two scratch records. And at, to be honest, actually, every release I've ever done on vinyl uh-huh. has scratch samples on it. Even like when me and Bavu do something, I get Bavu to... If you listen to Russell, the R, yeah. if you listen to his beats, you know how it goes, the R, the R, if you ever heard that. Well, that's from a record that I put out with Bavu from Reconstruction, where at the end of the record, I got Bavu to go on a mic and just shout out like, yo, the R, head crack, you know, or whoever. And so these people would like use it as a sample, you know, DJ Salty. So you, know, you, built, you built that thing? Sound Craftsman? Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all um, based on samples that I found or the idea of Sound Craftsman. Uh, the, so one side of it is just samples, scratch samples, kind of standard stuff, vocal stuff like yeah you know, Jay-Z samples or whoever, right? Just scratch stuff. And then the other side was more influenced by Blaze, right? Like, how can I make the turntable be a melodic instrument? So I won't get too in-depth because it is really dorky, but um, I, I practiced up and, you know, read up on my music theory and 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 how the turntable works and came up with this uh, concept to do um, pentatonic scales and... and uh, and and randomize some of the notes for various different instruments so DJs could actually play melodically in a band if they wanted to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. By the way, the instructional video is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> because Shout out to Star the, Sign, the, who's in there. Who okay, he does the intro, but who does the voice? That's like, me, yeah, that's that me. Sound, that sounds good. Yeah, that's me. Select loop. <laughs> Select yeah, yeah. begin of loop one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's me. I, I have this, like, alter ego that's on a bunch of... Uh, bunch of my mixtapes and stuff it's basically me after a night of like smoking a pack of cigarettes and then drinking and then waking up the next morning and recording all right i gotta record and then like like pitching my voice down you know (laughs) it's funny yeah that was pretty cool (laughs) so uh let's just um move on real quick so how did giga crate really come around then Man, uh, I I got to keep all these things, these next stories short, so because I know we're short on time. Um, uh, that's fine. 
So Gigacrate, I mean, basically... Um, the idea. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I, I had went out to Nam and uh, um, seen Serato for the first time, uh, for anyone's first time. I mean, that, I was there when they debuted it at Nam, and it blew my fucking mind. And I came back to Austin and immediately thought, this is the biggest thing for DJing since the invention of the turntable or the mixer. I mean, this is going to change the fucking game. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like game changer... Yeah, and so I thought I need to get I need to be a part of this, man. How am I going to be a part of this? Started thinking and I was like, yo, back to my radio days, I know all these record label cats. Um why don't I start like basically what is essentially a a a, a digital record pool, but also one of the things on the radio show that always happened was MCs and people would come on, "Hey, check, you could buy my new album it's in stores next week." Well, maybe that's what Gigacrate could be too. Sell your album, you know. Mm -hmm. Record labels, if you want to promote it to DJs. So it was like that was the whole idea. Really, was the audience is DJs. It's not like iTunes where the audience is everyone. It's like the audience is very specifically DJs. Now, other people got on it and downloaded music, mm -hmm. but we didn't really cater to those people. Like we would have instrumentals, acapellas, remixes, things that DJs would want. Scratch records, you know, crap like that. Well, so. you had about twenty five thousand DJs on it. Registered eighty thousand, eighty thousand. Yeah. Sorry. So at the at when we shut it down. So oh. yeah, yeah, eighty thousand, man. Um, it it was it was very slow to go. You know what I mean? The first yeah. year was like uh, we got like a hundred people, and then it was like oh we got like a thousand people, and then it was just like boom, 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 and it just like exponentially growed. You know. I always remember that. that that picture of Mike Swing carrying the crew. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got uh we got a lot of people. Mel, I got one with Mel carrying the yeah. crew too. Yeah. Yeah. That's why that's why he says he's short because he's been carrying Christ so damn much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what happened? What did you? Like, well, Kitty Crate, it man, it's it's a. Uh, it was an extremely expensive endeavor, man, and it was funded completely out of my own pocket, um, at a time when, in order for me to do so, I did all the UI design and I did all the front end, you know, developing. Coding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I and I had one other guy. They wrote all of the backend database stuff and like it was written in PHP. So a lot of the server code, he'd wrote that. But I, I, I mean, dude, it was, it honestly was a full-time job. So I, I had, I had a job, which I won't, this is a whole nother segment of the story, which I won't even go into, but suffice it to say that I was working part-time, um, about 25 ish, 20 to 25 hours a week at this, uh, you know, day job, if you will. Um, contracting and then I would go home at two o'clock and I would work 30 to 40 hours on Gigacrate. I'm, I shit you not, man. And I funded paying the other guy from the 20 to 25 hours. So I was living like a college student, seriously. Mm -hmm. For I mean, Gigacrate was around for five years and I, w I don't even want to say the amount of money that I spend, but it suffice it to say that, you know, it's it buying a house kind of money, you know, over that amount of time and like. It's a. It's, all, it's understandable, man. It really so is. I basically just decided, like, I gotta cut this off, man. Like, it's it's like hovering on being successful and not. And then, you know, we were out before SoundCloud. You know what I'm saying? We were, or at least at the time they started, we were definitely out way before MixCloud. Yeah. And we're actually in talks. I know Nico at MixCloud, um, the owner. You know what I'm saying? And we were in talks about collaboration. Uh, we came out before Turntable Lab went digital. And in fact, DJ Ayers was like, yo, you should talk to them because they're about to do a digital turntable lab. 
So I hit them up and they're like, oh, wish you would have hit us up six months ago. We're already started now. We would have totally bought you guys or partnered. And I'm like, you know, there were so many opportunities, man. I was in talks with um, Native Instruments, oh. in talks with Serato before they started White Label. You know what I mean? Their site. Which, by the way, a lot of these guys copied their shit off of us. Make no mistake about it, man. I mean, and that ain't even no ego shit. That's just like facts, <laughs> man. Um, but, you know, it's just at the end of the day, man, it's just was just funded by me dude so i was like i I, I can't i can relate (laughs) i can't exactly dude so i I was like do i want to do this for the rest of my life like you know so no and then i just got out man that's Um, fair that's fair and i don't regret it but wait uh, but but crackle show records just started in 95 it started in 95 me and point five kind of came up with it to legitimize the mixtapes i was putting out so for the longest time all all that was ever put out on there was mixtapes and the audio laxative that was like one of the first yeah but there was mixtapes way before that which i never i put, never put out i never officially put them out because they're a so bad but b oh come on man i got them dude if you ever want to come over to the house i got it i got them on cassette man like um i'll listen yeah i got some funny ones man but uh those were just tapes for the homies you know what i mean they were just like yo you know people ask high school bug man come on i want to hear this new naughty by nature or some whatever <laughs> like all right man let me put that new so, uh, but crowd control, um, slowly after five finger records. So we didn't do the Prince Poe and, uh, a QB thing on crowd control, even though it already existed. Yeah. Um, I didn't have enough money and I didn't want to cut those guys into crowd control. You know, I didn't want to say, you want to be a partner in crowd control? Mm-hmm. So we started our own side venture the called five, five finger records, yeah, five you know, thing, yeah. and, um, and, and we did that release with that. But then I realized like those guys, we didn't really do business well together. Love X-Man to death, love David. But for whatever reason, you know, that shit kind of just dissolved. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to go back to doing crowd control, but I'm going to release my own stuff. So that's when reconstruction was like the soundscape and or reconstruction was like the first non mixtape release, you know? Yeah. And then it just and, and you do it all the artwork, the yep. press them and everything. Well, I don't press them. Well, we don't I, press yeah, them yeah. anymore, really. But I'm <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, 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 you know, find the pressing plant, and and you know, I don't actually press them in my house, is what I was saying. <laughs> you know, I don't have a record press. I've, look, I've been, I've been in your house, and you, dude, your studio is fucking amazing. Oh, thanks, man. It really is, really is. So when it comes to, um, let's talk about production in general, because I've had Benzo on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, I had T Double on the show. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you go about it? Do you have something in mind? Do you just hear a little sample here and there? And like I'm going, I can work with this. Like, how, what's your what's your process? Well, I mean, there might not be a formula there. I'm not asking. For yeah, a no, 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 no. That's a great question, man. Uh, I think that you know the there maybe used to be a formula back when I was you know first starting, just because I didn't know any better, and mm-hmm. I was like, I need to. I got to make the beat first and then I got to find the sample or, you know, whatever right. it is. But man, using a formula is just for me, as I've gotten more uh, experienced in making music, it just kind of kills the creativity, man. You know, you, for me, I don't ever, and this, thankfully I have a day job, right? Because yeah. God, I could not imagine like having to sit down and go, all right, man, got to make, got to turn on the creativity <laughs> or now or I'm not going to eat, you know, like, um, so that's rule number one for me right now. I don't even get behind 
you know, the boards, you know, my computer or whatever until I'm excited. There's no point. I'm not going to sit down and go, I need to make a beat, you know, it's just, so I'll get around to answering your question, but that's the first thing is you need to be inspired. You need to feel excited. um, And that's the most important thing. And then anything can cause that. Like I could be watching a movie and hear this amazing melody and go, oh my God, pause, run downstairs, turn everything on and just start. And then maybe I never finished watching the movie. I mean, that's, that shit is a real story. That's happened before. I've made Mm -hmm. tracks like that um, where I just got inspiration from a melody, like the key that it was in or whatever. And maybe didn't even copy it. Maybe just got inspired to go off of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Other times, um, if I am feeling inspired, but don't know where to start, maybe I'll dig in my record collection and go throw on some shit and just listen to it either to sample or to find inspiration and then go from there. Um, I typically... Does it ever just pop up like in your middle, you're sleeping and you wake up, oh shit, I just thought of this beat. Nah, not so, <laughs> not so much. But I, I do know that if I do get to that level of like, oh shit, I don't give a shit who's there, who it's around. I run and just do it because it's very rare, man. Like, And you kind of have to like harness it and just let it go. Right. Because that's always the best stuff. I mean, some of the best tracks I've ever made, honestly, excuse me, made in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Not completed like, oh, this is like engineered and, you know, mastered. But I'm talking about the rough draft. All of the creative cool shit that everyone likes, 10, 15 minutes. And it's not because it was easy to do. It's because it was flowing out. And I was, I just like, got to capture it, you know? Um, You know about the... um there's a this show on Mass Appeal called uh, Rhythm Roulette. Okay. On MassAppeal.com. So basically what they do is they, they take these these producers. They've had Marco Polo, Illmind, uh, Bab- uh, Babu, wow. okay. like, big, like Black Milk. Like yeah, yeah. That kind of Amazing level, right? Amazing cats, yeah. Yeah. Static Selector, all those guys. They, they let them loose in a record store. Okay. They blindfold them and go pick three records. Wow. And then they go... Go back to the studio, and then they actually film the whole thing, like how they can only use those three records. Yeah. And yeah. you have to make a beat out of that. Yeah. And they, they could add some stuff from outside, but yeah. for the most part, you have to go through every single one, every single track, and then pick up something like that. You yeah, think yeah. you'd be able to do that shit? I think I could, man. And I think here's the reason why is because a couple, couple things, man. So I remember from the very beginning, one of the things that Foulmouth used to always tell me is uh, because I wanted to start diving off into computer production when it wasn't cool to do it. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Everyone was on MPC or SP12 or, you know, ASR10. And I was like, man, fuck that. Dude, let's do Cakewalk, man. You know, and I'm talking in the 90s, man. I remember Cakewalk. (laughs) And uh, and people were like, oh, you know, I remember T-Double like making fun of me, like, oh, you're using the computer or whatever. But, um, But Foulmouth actually was like, Dude, keep in mind whatever you're doing. Like one of the dopest things about using something like the ASR10 is that it's limiting. It limits your options. You can only sample so much. Mm-hmm. You can you're only looking at a little shitty green screen that doesn't have the waveform and a bunch of other distractions like the internet and other crap on it. That's it. So you're focused, you know what I'm saying? You're listening. And I think that that would be what you would have to do in that scenario of only having three records being blindfolded it's like you're limited and and and, but you know so when i approached making music on the computer i would find ways to limit myself and it's funny you mentioned that about like blindfolding and going to a record store one of the things i do and i challenge myself a lot with is don't go buy new records don't go digging for new records man 
you got a ton of records. Even if you made a beat off of this record, make another beat. Make something totally different. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, go oh. digging in your own collection, man. Uh-huh. Like, uh, because chances are you're going to hear something different the second or third time you listen to the same record, you know? So, yeah, man. That's I mean, I, I, would, I would accept that challenge, man. I think it would be fun, you know? I'm not saying what would come out would be dope, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but it is a challenge. It is it a challenge, challenge and, and, but it's a, it's a very interesting way to... There, that the spirit of that challenge is the same, is another, is, is one of many ways that you can inspire yourself to be creative. Mm-hmm. You can create little challenges like that that are like, if you're, if you got writer's block and you're in the studio and you're like, man, I don't know what to do, create yourself a little challenge like that, you know, and it's, you'll be amazed at what comes out, man. Like, it doesn't even have to be like, go to the record store. It could be like, listen to, you know, n- like, viagra commercials on like news radio and see if you can't <laughs> get inspired to come up with something cool you know take like, the nationwide jingle and try to make yeah that. man i mean there's inspiration <laughs> everywhere dude that's that's my point you know and that's dope but see i mean um the thing i mean uh as far as the the, the music landscape today producers are everywhere right i mean you go to festivals yeah. And Same with DJ. Said, I mean, yeah, DJ slash producer, yep, but yep, more yep. producer than DJ. Really, I was at a ACL this year, and Grammatic was on. Okay, yeah, I love Grammatic. Yeah, um, some of the stuff he comes up with, I'm like, how the fuck does he think? Yeah, I was listening Dope. to a track, and then it starts off I'm like it's kind of shitty, and he just flips, flips it on it. me, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, what the hell? And I love it. Yeah, and so he's up there doing his thing, and I'm like. I kind of want to see some more the creative side than just playing the stuff that yeah, you know that, that you have produced already, that you yeah. produce already. So, what, what's your take on that? That whole trend of okay, I'm a producer, but I'm just gonna play and then do the Jesus pose. Yeah, it's difficult, man. Like, and it's it's um, it's interesting because there's guys that come from like a DJing background, like mm-hmm. me, and then they started producing, and then there's guys that are producers that then started DJing. Like Boom Baptist, right? Like, yeah. I, I love Boom to death. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see Boom perform live because he's amazing. He's doing that right. Like, you would want to see Boom Baptist perform live because he's gonna do, he's gonna show you how he made the track. That's what's interesting. I don't want to see Boom Baptist DJ his stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think of Boom Baptist as a DJ, but it depends on how you think of the person. Because I think of my live show as more of a DJ show. So whenever I perform my stuff live, I'm not doing as much like uh, reproducing of the song or creation of the song as like say Boom Baptist would be. Yeah. But I'm doing different stuff with the song, like a remix of the song. I'm not just playing the song. I'm doing like, uh, I'll try to do like some turntable stuff with it or, you know, scratch over it or like maybe manipulate the song differently, you know. But I'm with you, man. I think that when I see people, I want to see more than you just playing the song. Unless your music is like house music or danceable music, right? Where it's like, you know, like K. Tronada. He, I don't know who that is. But. Okay, well, he, he, he makes more danceable type of music, right? It's more of a dance party kind of vibe. Um, and I remember he played at Holy Mountain and... He could have probably done some producer type stuff, but he didn't. He just played his stuff and it jammed, man. It was if dope. If it works, fine. So, 
But it was like a party. It was created like it was it was like it was a good DJ set, you know. So let me let me ask you this then, and and that will go back. That will kind of wrap things up. Um, you said a while back, and I quote that you're a DJ. You're not a DJ if you don't know how to scratch. Wait, just or mix something something along those lines. What's a famous saying, right? What is a DJ if you can't scratch? Yeah. You know? so, so that was your definition back right? then. What's your definition now? Um. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think scratching makes you a DJ. I think that's very nearsighted. Um, yeah, but that was back then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, but I do I do think that in order to I think there's very uh, several factors that determine a good DJ, right? Like, um, it, and I think that scratching for me personally, and a lot of the DJs that I respect and know would agree with me that scratching and beat juggling, more so technical skill right yes is is up there man you know it, it is it is a it is not an add-on but it's something that really say okay well i'm not just here playing records i'm actually putting on a show for you right i'm actually doing something right now and that could be totally different but, you know next time you see me but i think it goes right but i think it goes beyond than just like literally scratching i think it goes and that's why I expanded it to to say skill because right. I think that like if you heard a DJ who who selected the greatest tunes ever and then just faded this song down and faded the next one up you would like and they were never the same tempo and they never overlapped and they weren't like brought in in a way that was like creative yeah that's all technical skill man and that's what I mean by at the heart of what is a DJ if he can't scratch it really means like Dude, you got to be bringing something more to the table than fucking playing two songs, man. Period. Because yeah. my mom can do that shit, you know? <laughs> and she's got great taste in music. Barry you know? Sultan so can do that shit. <laughs> anybody can. I mean, but that's where DJing starts is like, I think, you know, so which goes to the next point. You got to have good taste in music. Period, man. For me. Like, you could be... I I do not care to hear a DJ that's regurgitating um the same shit that's on the radio or or is on that the next DJ is doing you know dude we it's 2014 there the internet there's so many avenues to get dope music so many like you just said so many producers there's so much dope music mm -hmm. why the fuck are you playing Rihanna again why the fuck <laughs> you know what i'm saying like Place there's so many dope tunes, and that's one of the biggest disappointing yeah, but, but, things to yeah, me but about DJs to, these days. Yeah, but like, here's the thing: you have the luxury to be to, to to play those. Okay, let me experiment and let me drop something that people might not know, or let me uh, do every, some homework. That's a lame excuse, though, man. Like every DJ, that's what radio taught me, man. Is that the, there is no point. And having a fucking radio show, if all you're gonna do is play the same shit that everyone. No, else. don't get me wrong. I you gotta break you. records, man. I'm just playing. You gotta break kid. records. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think my older brother's a DJ. Okay. We, he DJed when we're in Africa, in France, in yeah. New York, and his thing was always my my. He always tell me my goal is to connect with people, but also. Make him introduce him to stuff that I not know. That's exactly Done. what I'm trying to. That, that was his definition. That is exactly 
that's a part of my definition. That's the one of the main parts that doesn't involve. Well, it does involve skill because yeah, there's, there's a, but not that like. But you, you have know, to know when to drop it, when to stop it, when to go back to things that people it's are more familiar reading, with. It's reading the crowd. It's right. knowing it, and which is a fucking crazy skill, man. To know like okay, I mean it. It requires like being, uh, um, you know, being uh, being able to read people's like social you know, interactions and yeah. just uh, how old are these people? What, what did they grow up listening to? I bet you, I wonder if they, they're going to know about this song or maybe they know about this. And sometimes you get it totally wrong. And, you know, there's a lot of DJs in Austin that are really good at that. There's not that many DJs in Austin that I know of that are good at doing that. And then introducing those same people to some new there's shit. There's a few. There's, it's not, the, I don't think it's a majority Right, because depending on where you, where you play, you have to cater to the crowd, and they tell you, "Hey, you have to play this yeah. kind of shit." I mean, there's a there's a lot of talented DJs in Austin. Oh yeah, yeah, that's down. not a slight on anyone. Yeah, exactly, man. exactly. I'm, but, I'm not, I don't mean you know, that in but be, uh, but because you're playing at a certain spot, then you have to play this kind of stuff. Right, it which sucks. Which is why I don't play at spot a lot of spots, uh, man. Totally, because I'm, I'm totally like, with you. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I would rather not compromise. Cause I did that for so many years, man. Yeah. I've we've all done that as DJs, man. Like done that. Oh, let me go work for you know scratch DJ and play at um, you know the Mother's Day thing at some fucking you know store, and you play like nothing but top forty, and you're just like, oh my god, you got all these people going. Oh, can I hear fucking blah blah? And you're like, uh, I get guess in point. Just last weekend, I'm I'm at the uh, the F1 thing, the blue at the W, right upstairs on Saturday night. And this guy comes up, I think his name was like Marcus West. He was more like a house DJ. But the type of stuff he played, people were loving it. Right. People were dancing and everything. And then um, some other guy came on. I don't know his name. I'm, I'm sure he's good in, in that element. It was all like dance music. Right. EDM stuff. But you had the blue at the W, the, the average age in there is 35 or 38. Right. Right. Downstairs, Verda was playing in the in the living room. Yeah, and people went downstairs. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, why would you? Pl- I'm like, why would you play stuff that teenagers these days listen to when you have a crowd that's in their 40s? There you go. Yeah. And so everybody went downstairs, and downstairs was a party. Yeah, because Verda would drop Stevie Wonder, he'll drop some Queen, he drop all kinds of crazy, yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff that people could relate to. People were singing. There was a conga line going around. The yeah, yeah, room. yeah. And I'm like. You're not reading, or either you're not reading it, or whoever booked you didn't know the audience. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, which, which I mean, in that I don't even know that dude, but in that dude's defense, I've been in both situations. I've been the Bird Peterson where you're like, fucking, oh my god, everything's magical, and I'm yeah. reading the crowd perfectly, and I'm dropping all this shit, and then I'm also maybe playing some new joints. You know what I'm saying? I've done that with Bird before, you know what I'm oh. saying? It's been great, you know? But I've also been that other dude where I'm like, holy fuck, man, I'm playing totally... And any DJ that says that they haven't been in either one of those situations is full of shit, you know? <laughs> because it happens, man. I'm I sure mean, it does. I'm you sure know, it it's... it's it's um Sometimes you just... It doesn't click, you know? And you're like, what the hell, you know? But ultimately, ultimately, you have your... You know what you're about, what your thing is, right? What you're comfortable playing with, and you have all kinds of different sounds you can go to, right? But you're still reading the crowd. But every once in a while, like, okay, look, I'm about to drop this joint, right? And I want to educate them, and maybe somebody will come up, somebody will pull out Shazam and be like, oh, I want to Shazam this song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see people do that a lot. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, 
I totally agree with you on the that. Uh, I totally agree with your brother, man. That's yeah. that's a that's a that's totally the way it should be. All right, I think we'll be talking for two hours, man. Wow, man. <laughs> damn. Yeah, I told you it does go by fast. I told you, yeah, let this shit say. I gotta say, this is my my favorite type because I can just let you go off. Yeah, on whatever, <laughs> whatever crazy story you gotta tell. Um, real quick, um, is there any um? places you'd like to recommend to people where could people find you or like I said Friday night or Saturday night you're out like yeah I use I don't spend unfortunately you know I don't I don't have any residencies right now so it's kind of just spot gigs you know what I mean um uh places that that I've uh you know sort Not necessarily of, play but where you would go where I would go out. okay yeah yeah sure um I I like um I like to check out uh like you know Volstead um that area, you know, Sahara Lounge. I like Eddie's thing, you know. Body Rock. Body Rock, you know, shout out shout out to him. I like vinyl. Um Yeah. It's a cool little spot. Uh trying to think. Um hmm. West West Sixth Street has some cool spots I like to pop into, you know, check out, you know, Mike Swing, Brew Exchange. I don't know if he's still there, but Saturday nights, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Dogwood with Abe and uh Oh yeah, that's right. I haven't seen Abe in a while. Um Dirty Bills is cool, you know what I'm saying? Uh, cool. Grab a pint over there. I go on and on, but yeah, those yeah. are some of my. Sp- <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, all right, now it's time for your uh, plugs and shout out. First, of, first, before we get to that, uh, where can people find you? <laughs> uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the internet's, the sure. webs, the. So Twitter and Instagram, I got the same handle. It's uh, DJ Nack, DJ N A C K, all together. Um, on Facebook, it's DJ Nick Knack, N-I-C-K-N-A-C-K, all together. Um, yeah. And then crowdcontrolrecords.com. Yep. All right. Now I saw you. Just read your laundry list. Of yeah, plugs. man. I, <laughs> oh, I, shout out. Sorry. See if I can bring this up. So um, I'll try not to read too too much from this, but I didn't want to leave too many people out. Um, and I know inevitably I will, but uh, yeah. Shout out to uh, <laughs> shout out to Point Five, uh, the high school crew: Brock, Ben, Jimmy, Eboss, Kai, Bumfus, Scott, Melton, Bob, Lottie, Dob, man. You, you know what I'm saying? You put me on here. Carrie, uh, uh, Les, you know, inspired me to do radio. Um, big up to you know X Man, Julian, Star Sign, with the whole B side. You know, big up to Mike Swing. Um, really helped me with the, you know, the business side of, of radio out here in Austin, uh, Bobby Dixon, uh, for, you know, all the graphics and, and basically outfitting me through the late nineties with all the Asiatic gear, uh, baby G and Casanova DJ mentors, uh, since day one, big up to info man, who, you know, man, during the hip hop, you know, Mecca days was there with me on almost all of those shows, uh, inspired me with the whole, um, constantly pushing me to improve on my, on my skills. Uh, big up to Dave Crump, um, you know, Blaze, uh, Foulmouth, The R, Tots, Donnie D, uh, Mel and Chicken George for, you know, constantly proving that, you know, DJing truly has no limits. Um, Crew 5-4, DOS, Head Crack, uh, I haven't really mentioned many B boys, man, but got got yeah, to give a shout to Romeo. Romeo, uh, I got to give a shout to Rudy Buck. Rex, man. My hair is, is kind of needs a cut, but I'm about to be over there tomorrow, <laughs> so shout to him, man. Um, we mentioned, but you know, Bird and Gogo. I mean, those yeah, dudes are hilarious and awesome. You know, we didn't really mention Matt Sanzala, 
you know, OG of the scene, you know, Scuba Steve. Yeah. Now, big, big ups to them uh, for always looking out. TMC crew, Avi, you know, the OG TMC cats, you know, Tots, Crown, Nerdy Harry. And, of course, the new cats, you know, Casey, Charlie, Kellen, um, Peligrosa. You said you could name them all, so you can go down the line on that. Um, oh, shit. I, I don't think I can, really. <laughs> the Wu-Tang uh, Clan of, Wu- of right, DJs. Right. Uh, you know, Boom Baptist, uh, Hobo D, Chris Jackson, you know, Applied Pressure, Exploded Drawing. No, you're going to have to tag all of those when I post it, right? Sound Founder, Butcher Bear. All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll start wrapping up. Austin Boogie Crew, Danny Spence, Dan Bone, you know, Eddie and Chicken. Uh, Shorty's a Funk, Riders Against the Storm. League, League of Extraordinary G's, man. Reggie, Loki, Tuck, Estoc, Grizo, you know, Rest in Peace, Bully. Um, Let's see here, man. Gosh, uh, I think I'll just stop I, there, man. I could just keep going. I want to give a big up to Texas Scratch League, though, man, and a lot of the uh, the fellow Austin DJs, uh, Dopez, uh, Swift Style, Buck Rogers, uh, Five One Two Fred, um, Protege, you know, Ash, Mighty Mike, Edgar J, Dick Nixon, Rand. I mean, shit. I just keep going. No, on, no, all right, we're gonna wrap it up. Just all right, all right, everybody all right. else. Shout out to you. Shout out to me. I got to give one last big shout out, man. To, All right, go ahead. I got to give a big shout out to my fiance who has been just supporting, you know, the hell out of my music endeavors and just everything else. So big, big up to Vanya. Love you so much. Um, and big up to you, man, for, <laughs> for doing this and having me on and letting me, you know, just keep rambling on and on and on. Hey, it was great, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Let me real quick. We're over two hours, so... What's happening this weekend? Thursday, uh, Volstead, Kiss Slice, Bright Black, Hip Hop, uh, 10 p.m. It's called Choice. They've been, uh, they just started doing this last oh, month. Oh, dope, man. So go check it out. They're going to have uh, vintage vinyl vendors on the patio. So $3 drinks and shot specials and all that good stuff. So Word. that's 10 o'clock, Volstead, Thursday night. Uh, then if you, if you go to Fun 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 Fest, which is this weekend, uh, Thursday, make sure you go to Chub Charlie's and go see Keeper uh, on the outside outside stage. It's free if you have a Fun Fest wristband. Big up uh, to Yadira. Yes, shout out to Aaron, Aaron and yeah. uh, Laney. Then Friday, 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 uh, more fire. You ever heard that shit? Huh. It's Odeon and uh, Q45, all Caribbean music and really? dancehall and reggae and shit. Since when? Uh, July or August, I think. What the fuck? It's pretty cool. Man. It's pretty Damn, cool. Where's like that it. at? Empire Control Room. Ah. Yeah. Dude, I just went to the Yellow Wolf show since they redid that place. Yeah. Wow, man. That, have you seen like the garage when they when they have you seen it? Like it's under construction. Wait, the garage on the outside? Yeah, yeah. No, nah, dude, it's fixing to be huge, man. That place, I swear to God, it's, like it's thousand a people now. or some shit. You know what I mean? Nice. nice but on the nice. inside, they redid it too. You know, the stage is. Like, yeah, yeah. They moved the stage yeah. to, to the far uh, wall. Yeah, so that's Friday. What else is Friday? Body Rock, um, all R&B. Really? All R&B, A to Z. It all, Sahara? So you're going to have, yeah, Sahara Lounge. What about, uh, isn't there also a Volstead uh, Data and, and King Louis? I'm not done yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Body Rock, all the R&B. So Al Green, Aretha Franklin, TLC, all wow. the R&B. I mean, like all the R&B. Dude, that party, I went, man, the last time I went, I, honestly, this very... Very, very special party. You guys should should attend that, man. It's uh Body Rock. Eddie and, and, and Rising Against the Storm, they they got something special, man. The energy Seriously. level at that place is uh 
Beautiful, man. Love I'm, I'm kind of pissed I missed that Maceo one, man. I know you are, too. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. So it's only five bucks to so go support and bring your dancing shoes because those, those yeah. I mean, that kind of party, the Soul Train line. Absolutely. Sure you know how to do your Soul Train line. Yeah. Because Shaka hates Or drink enough right. until you can figure it yeah, out. Yeah. That's so much what fun. I do. So much fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's Friday, Body Rocks and Hair Lounge. Uh, and then crashing in, uh, King Louie and I would say Data. Yeah. Data from Houston. From Houston. Um, at Volstead, uh, Hip Hop, Booty Music, 21 Plus, no cover. So go check that out. Uh, if you're going to be doing Fun, Fun, Fun Fest, uh, all the best to you. Have fun. There's a bunch of new, there's a bunch of shit, bunch of people coming through. Uh, just be careful, be safe, use Uber, all that good stuff. I wonder if they're going to be charging more this weekend. I don't know. Wait, if you buy tickets, do it. No, Uber. No, like Uber. They, they raise the rates when oh, there's like Because they can at this yeah. point. They're legal now, so they can do whatever the fuck they uh, want. People people are using it. I mean, that's what uh, yeah. the, the city gets. So um, that's about it. So again, oh, a couple of things. A couple of things. Uh, make sure you go on iTunes, rate the show, give me some reviews, tell me what you think about the show. Uh, we got some really good people coming through. And make sure you go on Twitter, Facebook, share the show, follow the feedback on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, leave me a review, share your show. We're on SoundCloud now also. So you can follow us on, Sh- on SoundCloud. I, I, put, I put up shows uh, every week. Uh, and big announcement. Uh, make sure you reserve the date. Saturday, December 13th is the next feedback party for your anniversary featuring DJ Mel and a surprise guest. I can't say who yet. So just come and find out. Uh, I have more details for you uh, as we get closer, but this one's going to be one for the books, guys. We have big announcements to make um, by then. So be sure to check it out. So subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Mr. Nick Knack. Dude, thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much for coming, man. I really appreciate it. And we're clocking out at two hours and something. But it was all good. Loved it. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you next week, guys. Ciao.